listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Another episode of the GGTMC. We are uh, live and on the air. I'm your host, the Samurai, and across the border from me is my good pal, Big Willie. And I believe Big Willie may have a special guest with him tonight. Yes, uh, my igloo neighbor, uh, Mike, <laughs> has decided to join us. Um, just to give everyone a peek behind the curtains, normally we record in the mornings, as everyone probably knows by now, but uh, there are some problems uh, in Kentucky that. Uh, didn't yeah. enable us to do so. So what we've uh, done is I already had a prior arrangement with Mike, my good friend. So we've decided to have him on the show just to talk about the films a little bit. Uh, Want to say hi, Mike? Tell us what your favorite color is. Oh, hi. How's it going? Uh, my favorite color would be red. There you go. Nice. Nice. All right. So that uh, that's out of the way. I guess we'll jump right into what we've been watching. I'll usually kick it over to you first, Will, so I'll go ahead and keep that going. Okay, I uh, the week again. The week started very slow for me, but uh, because we're doing our year-end show next week, I had to cram in some stuff, and I've really been putting my foot on the gas. So um, I'll try to go through it as quick as I can. I watched Carnival of Souls. I had it on my PVR forever. Uh, that's the Del, they're not Del Tenny, the uh, Hercurvy film, and um, I, I really love this film. I think you know, great use of uh, locations, and there's some fantastic sort of surreal images and. Really good film. You can see it's an influential film, and it's a shame Herc Irvy didn't do more films. Um, I watched the Jacques Tourneur, uh Cat People as well. I thought it was good. I don't think it's quite the classic everyone makes it out to be. I think that you know technically it's great, but you know uh, otherwise uh, standard fare. Uh, a late Mario Bava entry, Baron Blood, which um, it's going to sound strange, but Elki Summer, uh, she screams and gets chased better than. <laughs> anyone I can recall in recent memory in horror films. I have a true movie geek uh, bit of trivia here. I actually watched this week when I get to my one of my movies, I actually watched a movie with an actor in it that you watched uh, there with uh, Baron Blood. It was, uh, I, won't, well, I won't take the name of the film until I get to my turn, but it was uh, Lucio Pagnazzi, who uh, is in a lot of films with, uh, did a lot of films with Margaretti. He's also known as the Italian Peter Laurie. So you might have remembered him in that film because he kind of looked like Peter Laurie a little bit. I don't know oh, if you did. I think I, yeah, I think I know who it was. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, it was a decent film. Uh, you know, not great. It, it's it looks nice. And oh, I know it was much better than the one I watched. You man, wait till you hear that one. Nice. Uh, I watched a film that's going to be on our roadmap. It, it rapidly ascended the charts. It is the aerobic exploitation, uh, the Citizen Kane of aerobic exploitation. That's Pulse Beat with a GGTMC <laughs> icon Daniel Green. Nice. <laughs> We're going to talk about that on the show in a few weeks, so I won't mention too much. I finally got around to Satoshi Khan's Perfect Blue, which is uh, was a mix, someone had told me, of David Lynch and Dario Argento, and it's an anime. Um, started off slow for me, but by the time it really started going in the last 20 or 30 minutes, it really tied up quite nicely. Cool. Uh, I would recommend everyone watches the Japanese audio track, though, as opposed to the English one. The English one, I was really detached. I couldn't get into it. Right. Um, I squeezed in a serious man. Uh, oh, nice. You know, to do my due diligence. I really love this film. 
Oh, man, it's really good, isn't it, man? I mean, I, I, I can't get away from it. I, I've only seen it the one time, and I just I can't quit thinking about it. I think, you know, like you and I had said off the air, Sammy, it's one of those, you know, Coens, you, you sort of have them stewing around in your head for a while, and then you like them more and more, and I know there's no way I cut everything in this. And, and on the surface, it's not something I would be all that keen on, sort of this, um, you know, look into um, this man, you know, his Jewish faith, and, and, you know, some of it seems a bit difficult to wrap your head around if you're not of the Jewish faith, but, I mean, wonderful performances. It's, you know, all the technical stuff's great, as usual with the Coen, so that was a good one. Yeah. I watched A Prophet, which is a French film that's been getting a lot of buzz. We were going to go see it TIFF, but we didn't really get a chance to. It's a French sort of prison uh, dramatic film with criminals and so forth. Uh, fantastic film. Um, I need to see I that before we do our year-end. I need to see that one before we do the year-end. Yes, you certainly do. Yes, uh, I think you know you're doing your due diligence to do so. <laughs> I finally, finally, finally got around to time crimes. Oh, yes. You know what? I have I have that, and I still haven't got around to it. <laughs> get around to it. Make a point to get around to it. Okay, I'm gonna get, make a point. I'm gonna make a point of that. After we do the top ten list, I'm gonna make a point of time crimes. Yeah, it's just one of those ones I wanted to see from the moment I first saw it on Twitch. But you know, it's an example of an intelligent young filmmaker with limited means being very creative and very intelligent in the way he, he presents his story. I don't think I quite understood everything, as is the case with time travel movies, but yeah. um, fantastic film. I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for everything Vigilando does now. Nice. Uh, Consequences of Love, which is another Paolo Sorrentino film. Amazing, amazing, amazing film. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's, it, it seems slow at first, but, I mean, this guy is a master filmmaker. Really good stuff. Uh... <laughs> I watched G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You're going to tell me you liked it now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I, well, I'll tell you I didn't hate it. Um, it's ridiculous. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's very ridiculous. I, I, still have, I still have yet to watch it, and uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to check it out at some point. See, I was see. You know, when we were kids, you're either a Transformers guy or a GI Joe guy. I was always a GI Joe guy, and so this was sort of you know right. for me exciting that right. it came out. But was there some you know poor casting? Sure, but at the same time, I love the Quaid. Uh, um, <laughs> what's her name? There, Sienna Miller looks fantastic as the Baroness. Yeah, there's a lot of good people. The lady that plays Scarlet, I have a very crush on. I forget her name. She's nice. Yeah, she's outstanding. Her boy uh, Byung Young Kim from uh, Byung Hung Lee. From a bittersweet life and the good, the bad, the weird place storm yeah. shadow. So it was kind of cool to see him speak English. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to check it out at some point. This is that was just not a film I expected you to tell me you watched. <laughs> well, my it was my wife. She goes, "Why don't we watch it?" I said, "Okay." And again, that's why I love my wife. I don't watch yeah. Valentine's Day. I watch GI Joe. So yeah. um, I think that's everything I watched. Yeah, that's it, man. Uh, do you want to talk about what you've watched, Sammy, or do you want to kick it over to Mike? Uh, I don't care. It depends on if Mike wants to go or if he don't mind going last and don't mind the pressure. Doesn't matter. I can go second. I haven't watched that much recently. Okay. Um, I don't get as much time as Will does. Uh, he's, got, he's got double trouble. He's got two kids. I got Ooh, two kids, wow. so it's like I go to work, I come home, I deal with the kids, and if I can manage to keep myself awake, I manage to throw in a movie or two. Wow. Yes. Uh, recently, I've watched uh, Pandorum mm. um, with Dennis Quaid. Yep. Is this any good? Yeah. Is this any good? Because I'm getting mixed results on all of the on that film from everybody. Uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. wasn't horrible. Yeah, someplace in between. Hmm. Um, I watched, uh, broke down and watched uh, Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie one. I was kind of <laughs> curious about that. Yes. You know, I had a lot of negative slack and all that, but it was all right. Okay. Um, I think it's definitely better if you take away the fact that it was a Halloween movie. 
Uh, uh, I come in peace. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. That was, oh, come on. I was yes. dying for that. I had someone score, for, yeah. for me. That's a score for Mike right there. <laughs> yeah, amen. And, uh, and then wife went away for two days, so I kind of broke down and watched, what was it, SS Girls. Nice. SS Love Camp Experiment. And what was the other one in the box set? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it had uh, something to do with remember. an SS camp. <laughs> Yeah, SS something. Yeah, something SS camp, and it was a whole bunch of torture on girls and whatever. Wow. I enjoyed those. Not, not, not something I can watch with the wife, so. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's not done with uh, the Nazi exploitation. Eh? Yeah, no. No. Um, uh, that's about all I know. Oh, Boondock Saints 2 is the last one I watched. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it any good? That's you the question. It, so- uh, not as much as I enjoyed the first one, but it was all right. Okay. Okay. And Mike, didn't you watch Host of the Devil as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I did watch that. That I really enjoyed. Yeah, that's really good. That's a great film. I can't yeah, say I got to grab that on Blu-ray when it comes out up here on the 23rd. Yeah. I didn't order mine through Amazon like Will here. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. showed him the clamshell today, and he he, uh, <laughs> he uh, pitched a 10 immediately. Yeah, yeah. He's been rubbing that in since he got it, so... <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, I believe one of the guys from Mondo Movie got it too, and they were actually twittering pictures of it today. Just, just driving me crazy, man. <laughs> well, I'd order from .com, not .ca. The oh, box yes. up here didn't have it, so yeah, I looked for that. Of course, you know, I was like, ah, uh, oh no, I can't find the clamshell. I'm not bothering ordering it. No, no. Although I saw Cinema downtown Toronto do have copies, so nice. if you go to some of the good retailers in the city, they'll have it. I meant to go there when I was up there for Tiff. We never, we never got a chance to get over there, so we're gonna have to get over there next time I come up. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. What have you been watching, Sammy? Uh, I watched. Uh, you know, I took my my hit for the uh, for the uh, my wife and watched Couples Retreat. Uh, less said about that one, the better. Uh, moving yeah. on, moving along. Uh, I watched. Uh, I finished Cash finally. This uh, really just whacked out low budget action movie that I think the other title is. Uh, Blood, it's also known as Blood Bullets and a Fistful of Cash. And uh, it's just a whacked out, really uber cheap uh, action movie. But it's it's pretty gory and just insane and incredibly long. It's two hours long. And it has no business being that long. <laughs> it's just it's it's a mess. That's the one with Sean Bean, right? No, 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 Sean Bean. That's that's another Cash film. That's actually a newer film. This is an older film. Oh wow! This has a an actor. Uh, the guy who plays Cash, his name is Tom Doty. <laughs> and uh, Tom, no nice name. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't inspire uh, too much confidence as far as tough guy acting. Well, he's got a lot of confidence. Trust me, you need to see that. <laughs> there's a great mon- there's, a, there's a monologue scene that rivals any monologue scene. Trust me. Um, I caught the uh, I caught the Wolfman in the theater. I did a review with the Ian over at Cinerama with that. I caught that. Uh, I liked it. It's not uh, it's not great. It's very average to above average, but I had fun with it. It was okay. It's kind of like a good film surrounded by two bookends of total shit. That's why I'd look at it. <laughs> uh, oh, so what is it about the the middle hour is really good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the middle hour, middle forty five minutes is really, really solid, and you can tell that the back end and the front end are just chopped to bits. Like they just keep jumping all over the place. So it's just really a mess. And like the first twenty thirty minutes is a mess, and the last thirty minutes is a mess. But that hour in between is really good. Believe it or not. Yeah, that was directed by Joe Johnson, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. 
Or at least as far as we know, until it got to the editing room and the studio took over. <laughs> yeah. Because there were some reshoots, and I don't know who did the reshoots. So, um, I watched more than a game. This is the LeBron James high school basketball documentary. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd heard about that. Yeah, it was really good. It was really, really good. Uh, it's not really about LeBron James so much. It's more about the team he grew up playing with and the, the friendships he had. St. Mary's or something? Yeah, St. Saint, Saint Victus of Mary's or something like that. I don't know. Something in Ohio. and I can't remember the call because it's been a couple of days since I've seen it. But uh, this is really good. I mean, uh, you know... Uh, you know, LeBron James is a very good basketball player, but there's all these other kids that were really good too, and they kind of got overshadowed by LeBron, who became a superstar almost immediately. So, oh yeah, uh, very good documentary though. I watched uh, "Deliver Us from Evil." This is not the film we saw at TIFF. This is uh, the document a documentary about uh, priest and pedophilia. This was a disturbing documentary. Uh, uh, somebody on another show had recommended it or something, and it was on Netflix Instant Watch. So. I checked it out. Uh, no, less said about that one. It's really good, but I'll never watch it again, probably. Uh, yeah, I own that one. I've had it. I've had it since it came out, and uh, it's just it's such a just a disgusting abuse yeah, of of power and abuse of faith. I'm just on every level. I mean, it's a travesty that that you know these guys don't hang for what they've done. But yeah, it's pretty disturbing. That's stuff. for another show, not not the GG. Yeah, not the GGTMC. <laughs> Uh, I watched uh, Low, L-O. This is a low-budget horror movie. Uh, it was on Netflix Instant Watch, too. Uh, I didn't really care for this thing. Matter of fact, it was probably the second worst movie I've seen this year next to The Chaos Experiment. It was uh, It was not good. It was interesting and, and, and visually and stuff. It's very low-budget. And you can, I mean, you can look it up if you ever look it up. It, it's this low L O, and it looks the cover's really interesting, and it looks like it'll be really interesting. But then the demon is a smack talker, and I didn't need oh, that. Oh god! <laughs> yeah, I didn't need that, and so it was it was really rough. And he kept calling the people he talked to dinner and stuff like that. It was really rough. So, <laughs> uh, and then last but certainly not least, I watched Savage Island, the Linda Blair Anthony Steffen film. <laughs> About white slave women, oh, wow. yeah, white slave women digging for diamonds in Africa. So, <laughs> and with that had Lucio Pagnazzi in it. So, uh, yeah, that was not a that was not a good film. <laughs> I actually watched that tonight, right before we did the show. Oh, nice! You squeezed in a fair bit this week. Yeah, yeah, I got going there for a little while. So, up to fifty-seven films on the year. So, doing pretty good. How many? Fifty-seven. It's a good number. Yeah, it is. I think you got me beat though. Right now, uh, for now, I'm sure you'll you'll catch up though, man. All right, so that is everything we have been watching. We got anything else we want to talk about in the intro here? Um. Oh, I just want to mention because I know we we I forgot to mention it uh, at the end of our show. Um. Again, in a couple weeks' time, we're going to get Mike Malloy, the director of the Eurocrime uh, documentary, on the show for an interview. Uh, he's going to talk about those films as well as just tough guy cinema in general so i'm really excited with that um we're just ironing out the scheduling and with the technical stuff but um sammy remind me when we're done i he had sent me something that he told me i could share with you a clip that's never been seen by anyone else uh ah. outside of a select few people that features the silva yes <laughs> he uh he, he listened to our crime busters review and he enjoyed it uh so it's actually it's funny because it's about when Sabato and Silva first met. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I, ho- I hope he goes back and listens to the uh, Crab a Prostitute uh, review, too. 
Even though that's not I so much Euro, that's not so much Euro. Well, no, it is Euro crime. I, yeah, it is. Yeah, Euro, it is. more like a gangster movie, but it's yeah. Hopefully, he'll go back and listen to that. Yeah, hopefully, uh, he does. But he, he's a big fan of tough guy cinema, so I told him we, you know, we're gonna get into that, not just as documentary. So again, that's coming up in a few weeks, guys. So beyond that, though, I can't think of anything else. All right, so I think what we'll do is we'll uh, take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some uh, movies. Sound good? <laughs> Yes. All right, we'll be back right after this. Popsyndicate.com. Popsyndicate.com. Reviews of all the hottest movies, music, authors, comics, books, and more. Popsyndicate.com. Home of the Pop Syndicate message boards and the best media-related podcasts and internet radio in the world. Check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com. Popsyndicate.com. Getting ready to talk about some uh, bloody Valentines here, so yeah, I, I can hear every now and then. I hear myself just barely on those speakers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. To give the listeners a heads up, uh, Will did want to have to uh, lay on top of his friend on the other end of the uh, show here, so we had to put me through speakers. So you might hear a little bit of reverb every now and then. Yeah, it was either the reverb or he be six, I be nine while we record, which <laughs> contrary to popular belief. <laughs> I'm not down with. So. Yeah, this isn't the flesh lollipop podcast. You know? No, definitely not. All right, so we will talk about my bloody Valentine. This is what I picked. Uh, it's from 1981, directed by one George Mahalka. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, basic plot synopsis: a uh, decades-old folktale surrounding a deranged murderer killing those who celebrate Valentine's Day turns out to be true to legend when a group defies the killer's order and people start to turning up dead. So. Yeah, good old good old regular slasher setup there. So, I picked this film. This has been on the uh, radar for a long time. Uh, a lot of affection for it between me and you. So, um, and I'm I'm, I'm going to assume Mike, but who knows? We'll see what he thinks. And uh, let's go ahead and get talking about it. Okay, uh, this is a film. Just let everyone know who maybe isn't quite as aware of it, because you never know. Um, this film, for a long time, Paramount had it, and there was a, supposedly up to about nine minutes of footage that uh, wasn't in the film. Primarily, gore sequences, payoffs to the kills um, that is very evident if you watch uh, the the film. Um, you know, there would be the build-up, and then just they wouldn't quite pay it off uh, as right. you would expect a, a, a film to. And you know, this was done with Friday the Thirteenth as well. I think part two and or three, maybe more. I don't know. Uh-huh. Just because Paramount, you know, they were really odd like that. They they were happy to, to line their pockets with horror movie money, but they they sort of looked at them as shit. And yeah, they were never going to give the directors the chance to present the film they wanted to. Yeah, like a lot of studios, they were built on horror. Like New Line was built by Freddie and. Mm-hmm. A lot of those places were built by horror, and we watched the. We should say we watched the uncut version for this uh, review. So, yes, and I'd never seen the uncut version. I own the VHS, and I own the original DVD 
Uh, but up until last night, I'd never seen the uncut version with the restored footage. Had you seen it before, Mike? No, actually, uh, when I watched it today, uh, I've had it sitting in my shelf for months now and just opened it up today so I could watch it for the show. Nice. Yeah, we all do that. Sort of leave stuff in the in the wrapper. Yeah. Well, oddly enough, I did the same thing. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, but it was interesting to see this footage. I'll make no secret right up front. This is, uh, along with Maniac, my, those are my two favorite slashers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, say what you will, Halloween, I think it's maybe blasphemous, but to me, My Bloody Valentine and Maniac are my two favorite slashers ever. It's not to say I don't you know, respect... Uh, you know what Carpenter did with Halloween, and the shape is is you know certainly iconic. But right. I just I just enjoy this and, and sort of the the down and dirty sort of uh, depression of Maniac. Uh, um, I think I, I think I think everybody's top five slashers are slightly different, though. I don't think uh, that's anything to be ashamed of. What uh, what's what's your number one, Sammy? I would say Halloween for me. Yeah. Uh, and probably my number two would probably be like uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two, which I really love. It's a good one, and uh, I like a lot of the sequels. Oddly, I like Halloween Part Two a lot, but it wouldn't be in my top five. But I like Part Two a lot. Um, of course, I like The Prowler, which we've talked about before yeah. in the past. I like The Prowler a lot. I like Maniac a lot. I can't deny that. I'm trying to think, there's another one we're missing here that we always kind of talk about, but I can't think of what it is. I'm looking at my oh DVD. the burning, the burning. Oh yeah, the burning, the burning, which we're going to cover at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Black Christmas. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I like Black Christmas. I like the original Black Christmas. I haven't seen the remake. I don't want to, but I have seen the original and I, I like it. Mike, <laughs> right. I have to agree with a lot of what you guys have said. Um, and on both sides, a lot of them are both favorites of mine. Are all favorites of mine. Um, Although one that I've been dying to see that I haven't seen in ages, and I'm still trying to find a copy of it, it's still one of my favorites, was Just Before Dawn. Oh, nice. Are we doing that on the show? Yeah, yeah, we are doing that on the show. Yeah, I, I have, have it. Buddy, we have it. I'll get it to you, man. Yeah, like I, I've, I've been looking for it. I, just, I remember when I was younger, staying up all night, uh, watching the TV, and they had like this all-night marathon, and that thing came on, and man, me and my buddy were just glued to the screen. That's yeah. usually it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten about it for a long time. I was like, oh, i got to get this movie. Yeah, that so one's uh, that it's, one's it's high up on my radar to uh, retract that down. Yeah, that's a good one. That one's done by the guy that did uh, his name's Jeff Lieberman. I think he did the Scorn yep. movie, which is the Worm Face movie. People might remember. Yeah, I've got that there. also. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, Mike's the one. He actually owns that Jack Hill car racing movie we were talking about, but he picked it up for nothing. Oh wow! Oh, well, um, I don't remember what it's Pit called. Pit stop. Pit stop. Yep. Nice. I got to see yeah, that. Uh, I've never he seen got that. The Ilsa box set for like ten bucks. Yes. <laughs> You know, this guy's like this guy's the serious deal finder. But anyway, we're sort of digressing here. Um, I just wanted to be forthright about my love of this film, mm-hmm. and also that this film is very, very Canadian. Um, wow! It, this is as Canadian as it gets. There's Moosehead beer. This wait, 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 wait. Let me catch off. There's nothing but Moosehead beer. Yeah, there's no water. There's just what I was saying to Will like two seconds ago, man. There's Moosehead beer everywhere in there. Oh yeah. Well, my, one of my yeah. favorite scenes in the movie is, is a girl, a waitress, walks up and says, "Who ordered the Moosehead beer?" And I'm like, "Who fucking didn't? Look at all the Moosehead <laughs> beer. Like, there's Moosehead yeah, everywhere. It's more, uh, you know, uh, present than J and B is in a Eurocrime film. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's really impressive. Um, I, I want to talk for a moment just about the the setup for this film. I think it's genius. Whoever scouted this location. Mm-hmm. Just because the the mine is is so lends so much of a dramatic feel, so much tension because you know it's a very claustrophobic setting, and it 
you know, dark alleys and corridors and tight corridors and you're unsure what's around the corner and it really lends itself well to that, I think. Yes. I would I would totally agree with that and I think that's part of the the allure of this film, the the mine itself and the miner's mask. And I know in doing a bit of research just for the show, something I didn't know uh, was that they'd spent, I think, 75 grand or something like that restoring the mine back to the way it looked uh, pre-shoot. I don't know what it was, but they spent a good amount of money at the time on restoration of this mine because they wanted it to look a little older because of the story. Um, The costume itself, of course, is fantastic. The miner's outfit with the pickaxe, which is just a brutal, brutal weapon that doesn't get used enough in slasher films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, right away, the template's there for a classic. And it doesn't, it doesn't waste any time. I mean, right away we get, you know, one of the worst uh, sort of drawn with, like, uh, lipstick tattoos in the history of cinema <laughs> on the tit. Yes, that's nice. But, I like that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, right away we get a nice kill there. And, um, you know, it, we see right away that it's not going to be your usual sort of horny teens setup. Well, I do like – what I did like about that scene, though, is it's very sexual. And it's very well set up, but I love the way she is rubbing the hose that comes out of his mask. Yes. <laughs> it's it's so overtly, you know, sexual and ridiculous, and I was just smiling with glee at the, that slasher convention that we all love, that kind of overt sexuality that they have, you know, the sleaziness of them. I, I just love that, watching her rub the hose <laughs> coming out of his mask. It was just awesome. It is great, because it almost becomes, I don't want to say postmodern and read too much into it, but it's almost like the... Like the reverse, like the hero worship in a sense of you're worshiping the icon of a slasher film, you know, not just the man, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's sort of, it takes on that a little bit because by this time slashers had really started to pick up and the cycle was really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I think the uh, golden age is considered like 81 to 83 maybe, 84 maybe, something like that. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. It's, that sounds about right to me. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um surprisingly, and I and I shouldn't discredit my country, because I'll, I'll put our country to the Pepsi Challenge per capita. we got a lot of beautiful women. I'll put us up against any country, maybe outside of Brazil. Um, you know, we got Dino women. There's a lot of foxes in here for, for being sort of local Nova Scotian women. Yeah, I kind of like it. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they just, you know, I love the way they talk in this film. Of course, you know, I picked up on that immediately. Yes. Uh, it's very, if uh, if ever... There was a very Canadian film, and I don't know enough about the Canadian culture. I know you've talked about people from Nova Scotia before, and you know how they're kind of looked upon among a Canadian culture. Not, I mean, not badly or anything, but you know, everybody's like you know in states. I'm from Kentucky, so automatically people in let's say Boston, where some of our friends are, automatically think, oh yeah, well Kentucky, it's you know it's a bunch of rednecks in the South, you know. And then of course I'm in Kentucky, and I'm thinking, no, 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 the rednecks are down in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're a little further south, but you know you know you get that kind of dichotomy because you know people automatically assume that. But I think you then you call haven't you called them before uh, newfies or newfies or something? Like that? New, actually, that's you're Newfoundland. A little right? mistake. And newfies yeah. are Newfoundland, which is further east. Right, right, right. That's right. Um, I remember that now. Yeah, there's New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, uh, Prince Edward Island, and uh, nice and Newfoundland. That the east coast of Canada is almost like the south um, in the states. Very nice, laid back people. You know, uh, a lot of agriculture, if I can sort of generalize with a broad stroke. I'd like to visit that area sometime. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. The people are amazing. Amazing people. And they can drink, man. They like to throw them back. It's, it's a good town, man. Obviously. A lot of good fishing. Drink a lot of moosehead up there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention the stash on the fat dude, since we have such an obsession with stashes on this show. You eat a good stash. Yeah, he did, man. It looks like a thing was uh, shaped with uh, some of that old mustache wax they used to use back <laughs> in the day. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, and then I love that the sheriff rocked a skinny tie and smoked a pipe. <laughs> yeah. That he smoked a pipe was just outstanding. I, I miss the days when uh, your good guy or one of your fatherly figures just walked around all the time with the pipe in his mouth. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, and he just sort of puffing on it. And then you'd get him with the, the pipe and then the, the mayor with the cigar. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's, everybody's got the tobacco going. Yeah. Um, as the film goes on, you know, you just you start to see there's so many creatives de- creative deaths in this film. And I'll briefly mention each of them. I don't want to spoil them too much. But maybe the most fantastic death by way of household appliance. <laughs> yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just great, great stuff. And I, and again, you know, I have to tell people that, you know, if they care, that the restored footage isn't quite up to the the par up to par of the print, which looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little grainy and stuff, but you still get the full idea of it. But yeah. you know, the payoffs are there, and, and that we really see. And, and the smell would be as bad as <laughs> as the sheriff thought it was. Yeah, the, I saw that. There was another movie where they had done something like that, not to the same effect, but there was another movie, and I couldn't remember what movie it was. There was a head or something. So I remember they heard the noise and you hear the da dung, da dung, da dung, da dung. Mm. Oh, I just I, I couldn't remember it. Maybe is it a newer film or an older film? That's what I don't remember. I just remember yeah. seeing that. I remember there was a scene. I'd seen that before, but not to the same effect. I know the the what I'm thinking of recently. There was a scene in uh, that John Cusack, uh, James Mangold film called Identity or something like that. Oh yeah, but maybe that was it. I think it might have been it. Maybe, but I think that I think I think I've seen it somewhere else before too, though. It's kind of hard to recall. So let me let me ask let me ask you guys. Uh, do both of you guys watch the uncut? Both of you guys watch the uncut version, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So does the inserted footage make the film any better or any worse, yes. or does it matter? Yes, it makes it better. Absolutely. Think so? Okay. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I never really. I don't remember much of the original one, so I almost felt like I was watching the movie for the first time. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, you could definitely tell where the restored footage was, and uh, I definitely thought it was a definite bigger payoff now. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of the you know, as Will was saying, the kills were just great. Yeah, it's what only it's only well, I mean, it's only three minutes of footage, but uh, I did enjoy the 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 kind of creativity of the kills. And I mean, when you watch a slasher, this is what you watch them for anyway. You watch them for, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you're watching them for the cat and mouse chase and, you know, the payoffs. So that's what you watch these films for. So uh, I always liked the film anyway because I always thought it was just kind of well-made and unique and it had a great kind of mythology behind it. And, you know, that great, you know, we talked about how slashers are kind of like modern, kind of like uh, Grimm's fairy tales. I think we talked about that a long time ago and how they're, you know, you know, I think somebody celebrated Valentine's Day and then somebody left somebody in the mind and now, you know, this person's bad. You can't ever celebrate Valentine's Day again. You know, as ridiculous yeah. as it sounds, it's, it seems like a very simple story, like a story you could tell to children at a campfire. And, oh, for sure. They're moral fables, absolutely. Yeah. And that's always the case. I mean, this one's a little different. Well, no, it is a moral fable, but yeah. usually it's the lusty, again, it's the lusty teenagers usually, mm-hmm. um, and, and the virginous or the virginal character is the one that lives. But this is something a little bit different. It's more than neglect. Again, I guess it's lust or sort of based around social... Uh, Circumstances, but no, you're you're absolutely. right. I think the film works either way, but I did enjoy having the three minutes of uncut footage put back in. I agree with you. Listen, without this footage, Sammy, it was still one of my top two favorite slashers of all time. Right. With the footage, 
it just pays it off that much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to see the craft and the care. I, you know, I, I got to look up the guys that did the effects. I mean, there's that scene where the, the pickaxe goes up through the bottom of the mouth and out right through the, the eye. Yeah. Fucking amazing, man. Yeah, I mean, it's just outstanding stuff. And the thing I love is how creative the kills are. I mean, we get death by drowning in boiling hot dog water. <laughs> I mean... We have, Here's you know, a new term to suck the weenie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. And I, it's funny. I think there's a kill similar to that in the burning, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then, of course, you know, you have the in this one, you have the uh, the great shower head scene, which is really oh, great. oh, that that one, I, I, I thought that was great, fantastic. <laughs> and that that's the payoff for my favorite kill in the movie. Actually, yes. what I'll get to, but. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to mention that TJ, who to me looks a bit like a young Ian McShane, um, he he loved wearing the bandana ascot and the shirt unbuttoned all the way down but tucked in still. Oh yeah, I have a I have a note that just says bandana around neck, and I couldn't remember who that was for, but now I remember. <laughs> well, TJ, it's like he he walked off the set of cruising. Well, they, they and onto the set of my buddy Valentine. I love that they call him Tej Tej in the movie. Tej. And also, uh, I know you said uh, Ian McShane. That's a good call. I didn't think about that. But he also reminds me of uh, the guy that played guitar for the band, Robbie Robertson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird, man. Yeah, good point, man. Robbie Robertson is another great Canadian, actually. Oh, well, <laughs> something in the water up there, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Um, I'm going to jump right very quickly because we've got you know, two more people to talk about. The scene with the suits, let's talk about that for a minute. That, to me, is one of the greatest kills I've ever seen in a horror film. And it's not just because of the payoff, which we briefly touched on. It's also mm-hmm. the setup. This has always reminded me of something almost like Argento would do or a really highly skilled giallo director. Because those, it's not just about the kill, it's about the setting for the kill. And... You know, to paint the picture for everyone who hasn't seen it, um, this guy and this girl are in the, this change room, and all the mining suits are hanging above, and you hit a button, and they, they descend down on a rope or on a on a string, and right. you see all these suits hanging and swaying and creaking, and it's just such a stylish, stylish kill. It's you know, it's not the stuck through the woods bullshit. It's the setting just lends itself so well to someone who has creativity to really raise it through the roof. And I mean, can you just imagine this with a goblin score? You know, yeah, no, I could totally imagine it. I mean, there's a uh, there's some good moments in here. Some moments where I feel like Mahalka uh, may have been, you know, he may have been, int- you know, he may have looked into some slashers and some giallos before he made the film. If he didn't, then he's got a sixth sense about the this yellow format. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's just so much stuff. It, again, it's it's he really takes advantage of the setting, like just the scene with the light bulb smashing sequence. That to me was a really terrifying moment. Yeah, yeah know with the sound and it's just like the lights are gonna go out and you're trapped all the way down there which again we see the perspective of when the elevator comes down you see the overhead and it comes down you're like holy fuck these guys are like you know they're gonna run into brendan fraser at the side of the earth here man <laughs> wow you know, it's uh, it's just out of control um i love that there's no final girl in this film yeah yeah the, well yeah there's not you're right it, it's again it's a very different slasher which is why i love it so much um and I really like, and I think it, you know, especially for a movie that's almost 30 years old, uh, I love that Mahalka sort of keeps you ping-ponging. I mean, for me at least, I didn't know who to pin, the, what donkey to pin the tail on in terms of who it was. For me anyway. Yeah, no, it, it makes much more sense in this film than it does in, like, the remake. Yeah, although I, th- I want to give the remake credit for doing something a little different, um, mm-hmm. but... I just think he keeps his cards close to his vest, and he and for a thirty-year-old movie, for all the movies all of us have seen, you know, the first time I saw this, 
uh, I was like, wow. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I, I watched this again, and I hadn't watched it in quite a few years, but, you know, I've seen this several times, so I knew what happened toward the back end of the film. But the director does such a good job, and Mahawka really has never done anything else really that of note that I can think of. He's still working, though, but uh, nothing yeah, else. That's, that, what I was, that's what I was going to say. Like, uh, a lot of them have gone off just doing TV stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it, it would have been interesting to see if he returned to the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he did a pretty good job. What's that? He did a good job. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's like he did this one horror film, and it's like he just stayed away from it and stuff, but it seems yeah, to be like the one horror, one film he's known for. Yeah, and it's, it's just a crying TV. shame. It's all TV stuff. I think he did uh, some Friday the 13th episodes, maybe, uh, Lonesome Dove. Wow. You know, da Vinci's Inquest, which is a shitty Canadian cop show. <laughs> um, he did Les Boys, which, is, which isn't as racy as it sounds. It's a hockey show that's big in Quebec. Um, looks like he did a... Uh, a movie called The Blue Man in 85. I'd be interested to see this. This looks like it could be a science fiction horror type thing. Well, he did a, a sex comedy. That was his first film in 1980 called Pinball Summer. Oh, wow. So we got to look into that. But it's a shame someone with so, so much skill in the horror genre um, just didn't do more. I mean, such a flourish, such a, a pizzazz, a panache. You know, and the last one I have is Something I know you, Doug, Sammy, the falling dummy, you know, and a headless one at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, which one of you guys wants to jump? you have anything you want to add, Mike? No, I'll, I'll, just, you know, I'll just chime in whenever I hear something or think yeah. of something or okay. whatever. So, wow. Sammy, I guess we'll kick it over to you then. Well, you know, uh, Mahalka actually directed a made-for-TV Mr. T movie called Straight Line in 1989. we got to get oh. a hold of this. <laughs> You know, you know where we can find that. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to look right now when you start talking. <laughs> it's a crime drama with Mr. T. <laughs> wow. Anyway, uh, okay, so I'll talk about it a little bit. You know, uh, it's no secret. Uh, I love the slasher film. I think it's still one of the great horror genres. I know it's been played out and stuff, but it still is always a lot of fun to watch them. Uh, I've always loved the sexual nature of them and stuff, and I talked about that with the intro. For me, I think the reason why this film works so well is because it was done as a total Canadian production and because it has a unique look. It's not it's not Hollywood. It's not Americanized at all, even though, you know, it's about a mine. And I don't even know if they – they never – do they actually say – I know it's in Valentine Valentine's Bluffs or whatever it's called, but do they ever say if it's in the United States or in Canada? I, I never they, even – Well, I think there there's – a minor indication because I listen to it as well, and they don't hide their accents or the moose right. head. Well, yeah, I mean, stuff. but I think there was one moment where they don't say it's American, but I think something was implied, like um, something that we don't have here, Sammy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, um, like they said something like uh, <laughs> senator. They said senator or something. The yeah. senator uh, uh, convicted him or something. We don't have senators here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You told me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a little confusion there, but I think that's what I've always liked about the film. It has a unique feel. It's like, uh, you know, it's like when you watch an Ozploitation film, you know, a film from Australia. When, when a film is uniquely made in that country by the people from that country, you know, with locals from that country, it always has a kind of a unique flavor. And I think that's a, one of the reasons why this film, unlike a lot of slashers, it, it stood the test of time because it has a very unique flavor, to say the least. Um, we'll see here. I think I've already asked you guys that question. Um, I'm just looking around my notes. So as is usual, the case, Mike, if you've never listened to our show, Will tends to cover everything I was going to cover and then I don't have to say much and vice versa. So, uh, the, the, the acting is, I will say that the great thing about the acting is, you know, it, it, 
it works because it is slightly amateurish and yet just good enough to work. Uh, yes. I think that's 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 the quality. That's another thing that adds to the quality of the film. I mean, nobody in this film would win a, an award. There's, that's not that kind of acting. But everybody feels real. Yeah. No, you you absolutely nailed it. They walked that line quite well. And I like the sheriff. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everyone, and like you said, is just good enough where, you know, they're not dreadfully bad, but they're not sort of, uh, you know... Uh, Meryl Streep either, but they're good enough. Yeah, yeah. The one guy that likes to play the jokes, he can get on my nerves a little bit every now and then, but he's he's the only he one. Like, he looks like the guy from Animal House uh, that seduces the coog. Um, oh, oh uh, Tom Hulse? Yeah, no, 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 no. Not Tom Hulse. Um, I think oh, it was the... Uh, oh, was, Tim Matheson, maybe? Uh, I don't know if it was played, Tim Matheson. Played, uh, played Otter? No, no, not Otter. Um, so what Otter? Now we got to. Now we got to. Oh wait, let me see. Maybe it is Tim Matheson. I'm thinking of. I always mix him up with. Uh, yeah, Tim Matheson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that moment where he drops the glass, sort of nonchalantly. It's, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Yeah. But uh, you know, I like all that stuff. I like. Uh, I like the uh, the kind of moments. You know, I love these small town movies. Anyway, I love it when you get a group of guys, and you know, this is what the Deer Hunter did well. Which is kind of odd that we're comparing the Deer Hunter with My Bloody Valentine, but or I am anyway. It's not because. You know what, Sammy? Mile at Mike chime in. He just he mentioned the deer hunter dude before yeah. we even went on air. So go ahead. Well, oh, no, that's, you know, watching it, you know, that's you know, when they're all running out working in the factory. That's the first thing I thought of was deer hunter. Yeah, yeah, because you get that camaraderie, right, of working with yeah. uh, you know a group of guys, and and when you're doing a job that's dangerous, like uh, steel mill work or you know mining work or something like that, you create this real bond. Uh, you know, because these guys rely on each other for their lives sometimes, uh, especially in mining work. I know this as being a Kentucky, and there's a lot of mining here in Kentucky, in the hills of Kentucky, and a lot of dudes uh, toward the eastern part of Kentucky, toward Virginia. They, I've known a lot of those guys that have mined and stuff, and you know, they they, unlike you know my job where I might just you know look to somebody to help me out. I mean, these people, you know, the guy I'm talking to, I might not like him outside of work, but when I'm at work, he's my best friend in the world because if I don't need him. If I don't have him, I might not come out and see the world again. I might be buried somewhere because, you know, he's watching my back, I'm watching his, blah, blah, blah. So I think that camaraderie they build and stuff is really great. And that's one of the other things they do. They don't really give you a whole lot of character in the film, but they give you just enough with everybody kind of hanging out and joking around, drinking the moose head, uh, you know, playing pinball, whatever. <laughs> let, let me ask you, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing because there are some things in the other film I'm going to mention. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Is shuffleboard as big in the states as it is here? No, I think it's big up north. Uh, I don't think it's big. Well, I can tell you right now, it's not big here. Because curling and shuffleboard, not to say I'm all that much an enthusiast, but they're bigger here. And I've been to buddies of mine's houses who have shuffleboard tables. Well, I know that uh, one of our faithful listeners, Jay, uh, he lives up there in Michigan. I know he plays shuffleboard. Nice. And uh, he's quite the enthusiast, from what I understand, between shuffleboard and disc golf. Yeah, that's what he does. Oh, that's right. He does this. I remember seeing something like that, and I wanted to bug him about it. Yeah, yeah. He loves those uh, those two uh, sporty sporting uh, games. I guess you could call. Them. Either way, I mean, I played some disc golf. I, I have a good time with that too. So, uh, anyway, to get back on the subject, this is not the podcast about Jay, although he'd love it to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that's the, you know, I think that's the main quality that I pull away from it. I'd love the kind of it's slightly amateur, but it's just good enough to be great, and that's the. Uh, that's the kind of the, the kind of thing that some of these slashers really pulled off, and I think the burning kind of pulled it off a little bit. And uh, just before dawn, all these slashers that we were talking about earlier 
they kind of pull it off. I mean, there's nothing complicated about the story. The story's very simple, very simple moral tale. And, and I like that. I actually also like in this one, though, I never really, even though it is, there's a lot of sexuality and stuff, it's not as, over, it's not really as, like, you know, out of control as, like, slicers would become. No. With the sexuality and stuff, you know, it wouldn't get, it didn't get that crazy. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if there's any nudity in this film, is there? I don't no. Think, yeah. I don't think there is. And yeah, it doesn't play a good part. Again, it makes it a, a different slasher. Yes. Yes. You know, again, you, you kind of care about, again, the characters seem more real in this. They seem more like you guys said, small town folk that, you know, there's just this, there's not, you know, I'm sure there was the town horror, but we don't see it in this. We see, you know, a pretty good group of older people. I mean, they're in their, you know, mid twenties to early thirties, which again, is just, it's great to see in horror films as opposed to the usual template of, you know, bimbos. Yeah. And I found with this is, you know, your, your typical slasher, there's always those persons, people that you're rooting to die for. Yeah. You're just waiting to see that kill. And yeah. I can't wait till that guy grabs it. I, yeah. I didn't feel that with this no, movie. No, me neither. That's there's, a good there's, point. There's, there's not one person you're like, yeah, I really hope that guy bites it. Yeah, that, that is odd. And when I think about it, looking back, I mean, it's really odd. You don't really, I didn't think, yeah, I mean, you, you really, in most slashers, you're rooting for, you know, I mean, even to some point, you can even tell which one's going to die first. Yeah. And this one, you never really feel that, so. That's a good point. My only and my final and last note is when we kind of talked about this off the air a little bit. Um, you know, the design of a slasher uh, killer in a slasher movie, uh, a shape, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it, is is so key to, to I think these films' popularity. The, you know, the films' popularity sometimes. And uh, of course, you know, we'll we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. But this one has one of the great, simple, and just crazy designs, even to the point to where my make or break scene is going to be uh, kind of involving that and. Why it works, I still have no idea to this day. Uh, but for some strange reason, that miner's outfit is easily top five slasher material as far as a killer. And we've talked about this off the air. We talked about how, you know, I, I like the design of the killer, and I know what you did last summer, even though I didn't really like the movie. And yes, uh, and uh, there's another one. We love. We both love the design of the prowler. Very simple design. We both love that. And of course, Michael Myers is a super simple design. You know, William Shatner mask in a jumpsuit. So. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then of course, you know, you get your, you go further along, you get more extravagant. Freddy's a much more extravagant character, and then, you know, but Freddy, but then uh, Jason's not. Jason's pretty much, you know, a pretty normal character. As a matter of fact, I'm a huge fan of uh, Potato Sack Jason. I love old Tater Sack Jason. He's probably my favorite still to this day because that one eye sticking out of that Tater Sack, as we call it down here, is just it bothers me to no end. Yeah, just that eye darting around, it yeah. is unsettling. <laughs> yes, because you know, underneath of it, you know, he's all lumpy and shit. Yeah, he looks sort of like uh, Sloth. Yes, he does. He does, actually. <laughs> but yeah. I would like to have seen Sloth swinging on a rope and just kick Jason back into the <laughs> hey lake. you guys. <laughs> nice. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the key. I think one of the reasons why this film works so well is the design. I mean, you know, look at the re-release of the uh, the DVD. You know, they they and even the original poster, the Miner's uh, helmet is and mask is featured prominently. Mm-hmm. And I think it does something, you know. Uh, it adds a quality to the film that's pretty unique and that's really all the notes i have about this film all right so i'll go for my make or break mvt etc as i throw the earbuds across the room jesus uh, my make or break is uh, again the kill with the mind suits this is a film it really becomes a greatest hits package great creative kills but the one for me that sort of uh, is the marriage of slasher and giallo in terms of style and brutality um, really, it, you know, nothing was going to break it, but it just further upped my love for it. And it gives it a payoff now. Yep. Like you guys talking about with the shower, the human shower head. Yes, that's nice. Outstanding. 
Um, which leads me into my MVT, which is very obvious. It's the kills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could go with Mahalka, you could go with a lot of things, the set, the costume. For me, just the kills overall, because you know, they're brutal, they're creative. What more do you want from a slash other than brutal, creative kills? Right. Um, and my score for the film is an 8.25 out of 10. Nice. Um, like I said, this is, is my probably first or second favorite slasher ever. I just adore it. And anyone who hasn't seen it, would really do themselves well to seek it out. It's it's a fantastic film. There are people out there who haven't seen it. I was talking to Ian uh, Cinerama, and he's actually never seen the original. So, Oh, wow. He's got to see it. Yeah, it must be great to go back and watch these films sometimes and never seen them. I, I miss that because I've seen everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, okay, so am I going to go, or uh, is Mike going to do it? Is he just going to chime in? Uh, actually, you can do it. And then Mike, I think he's trying to think of his right now. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so my make or break. I'm going to go with something a little different uh, because there's that, that scene you're talking about is a great scene, and I would totally agree with that. I'm going to go with the scene where we see the miner uh, walking toward our uh, our characters, our primary characters, when one of them is down. There's just, oh. Yeah, there's just a scene where they're looking, their point of view is looking down that shaft, and he turns around, and he's walking toward them. And then the great thing about it is, is Mahaka manages to move the the light that's on his helmet, they move it around the characters and they're trying to overreact and get out of the way and get out of there. And you just know that he's coming. And that scene, for some reason, man, sends chills up my spine. I have no idea why, but just the sight of that miner walking toward them drives me nuts. Yeah. So, But I think it's all set up by everything else that Mahaka does with the, the minor character, the Harry Warden quote-unquote character, that you know it makes him intimidating i mean it makes him dangerous right i mean the best your best villains are always set up by the previous scenes so we've we'd set this character up so you know it was very intimidating to see him walking toward camera so love that scene uh my mvt i'm going to go with the uh the location in the field uh i could easily go with the kills as well i totally agree with you on that one but i'm gonna go with the location in the field because it's just such a unique movie in so many ways in a genre that you know a lot of times is shit upon upon among you know proper critics i guess uh this movie is is unique in its own way, and I think that's why it stood the test of time as long as it has. And uh, it's pretty interesting because really the guys behind it, from what I understand, what I've read, the producers behind it, they literally just wanted to make a cheap uh, cash-in movie to kind of capitalize on the slasher craze they saw coming. Everybody was grabbing holidays, and they just kind of grabbed Valentine's Day, and they called Mahawka and said, "Hey, look, you know, we got to have this movie in six months. Boom, do it." And who's to say that, you know, sometimes in a feverish bit of creativity, a good movie can't come out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my score for the film is just a little bit lower than yours, Will. It's an 8 out of 10. I think this is one of the finest slashers ever made and possibly that ever will be made. So that's my thoughts on the My Valley Valentine. Right. Mike's just, oh, are you, are you going? Yeah, yeah, I'm going. Okay. Yeah, I'm going. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, uh, I think both of you guys have... Uh, said a lot of things that I agree with on both sides. Uh, well, I'm not going to bother reiterating stuff that you guys have already said. I just don't think there's no point to it. Um, although, um, you know, it, it is a great movie. Um, it does test, test the, stand the test of time. Um, so I'm just going to jump to my favorite scene. Um, sure, the kills, sure, everything else. But, you know, what really got me was right at the end of the movie. Oh, the yeah. guy saws his arm off. Just to get away from the rubble, you know, the girl comes up, oh, no, no, no. And what does he do? He sits there and just saws his arm off to take off. Yeah, don't mention names, though, because we don't spoil movies on this Oh, show. sorry. That's, That's okay. okay. You didn't mention a name. You didn't spoil anything. You didn't spoil nothing. Yeah, you're right. And I don't think that footage was in the original. Yeah, I, I don't remember, so, but, you know. Yeah, I don't recall that either, actually. It's funny you mentioned that because I do not recall that being the ending of the film. I'm sorry. I just no. don't remember that. 
was just fucking brutal. Yeah, no, you see other movies, you know, you see the hand come up or whatever, or the, the little cheap scare or whatever. No, this guy just saws his arm off and runs away. <laughs> I'll be back. And almost like the Gordon Lightfoot-esque song to end it, which is a fantastic song. Yes, yes. I wish I had that song I put it at the end of the show, but I don't have it. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was watching. So I'm like, fuck, I wish I had remembered to try and track this song down. I'll have to look around for that maybe before I put the show out. What about a score out of 10, Mike? Uh, I'll go with 8. Yeah, nice. nice. I normally don't score movies, so this is new to me. Oh, you don't? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, yeah, I love to, we love to score movies. Uh, and that Mr. T movie, we've been staring at his scowling face for the past 20 minutes or so. <laughs> I mean, it's here. Oh, great. And it, it also sounds like it has a bit of a Manchurian candidate mind control <laughs> plot with some youth gone wild gangs. Well, that sounds like a winner. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we're going to be covering it on a future episode. Won't be the last we've seen of Mahalka. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I've never seen that film, so uh, I would be terribly interested in covering that straight line. Right? Is that what it's called? Yep. <laughs> nice. All right. So I guess that is our review for My Bloody Valentine. We're going to take a short break here, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Death Weekend. So we will be back right after this. <laughs> This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good. You know, it seems mostly uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Viking, whatever. And as with Lost... The flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes. Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Yes, the mother was was insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing. I learned a lesson today about karma. The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right, hitting old man. And why are you not winning? So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV, because we totally watch it and talk about it, so you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store. Good stuff there. I never heard that song before, Lars William. I like that song a lot, though. Metric is one of my favorite groups. I don't listen to much new music. It's mostly older stuff. Um, anyone who's Canadian would have heard that a lot a few yeah. years ago because it was really big. That whole album was pretty big. Um, yeah, check them out, Sammy. They're a fantastic band. I will do that. I will definitely do that. All right, so our second film of the evening is Death Weekend. Uh, so I'm going to kick it over to you for a plot synopsis, and we'll get talking about it. Okay. Um, I just want to say I love the tagline on the poster that I posted to our Facebook group. There, yes. This thing also went by the name The House by the Lake um, and a few other names. But the poster um, that I'm familiar with that I think is just fantastic has a picture of a woman 
uh, laying down on her side uh, with her hand over her mouth, and it says they were going to rape her one by one. She was going to kill them one by one. And it's a really nice-looking poster, actually. Yeah, that one's uh, better than the other one that they have, one, the House by the Lake poster. I don't really like that one that much. Yeah, and of course, they were capitalizing or trying to capitalize on the house... Uh, or excuse me, last. I was going to say House on the Edge of Park, which in itself was a ripoff of yeah. Last House on the Left. Well, they, you know, they got another tagline too. It began with the rape and ended with the massacre, which I like quite a bit too. That was a good tagline. Yeah, good exploitation movie tagline. Um, let me just get into this. Uh, oh wait, this might be coming out on DVD if what I just read is correct. Interesting. Um, let me see here. Yeah, it looks like it is. Hang on a second. I'll click on that while you're uh, talking about. Yeah, it looks like um, it might be. Well, both of these synopsis spoil the shit out of the movie, so I'll I'll give my own synopsis. Okay. Um, what you have basically is a setup. It's it's in the countryside. You have a sort of a rich, douchey playboy dentist yeah. uh, and his model girlfriend, played by Brenda, Vic- Brenda Vaccaro. Or his uh, model, uh, or he wants to be his model girlfriend. Yes, that's right. That's right, because they're not uh, wife or girlfriend. Um, they're on the way up to the cottage countryside in Ontario, uh, not too far from my house, maybe about an hour and a half, two hours away. Nice. Um, they're driving, and they, they of course, inevitably run into the, the gang of sort of hyenas. And I said, <laughs> fuck you. Yes. Sort of. uh, they run into them. Things don't go too well. They end up uh, <laughs> getting the hyenas' car off the road. The hyenas want revenge, and they find them at their house by the lake, and violence and other things ensue yes they do so, we've heard a lot about this film in terms of its reputation of uh, being pretty good for what it is etc etc uh i know what i think but i'd be curious to see what you think okay and then, oh sorry sorry sammy i hate to interrupt you what a douchey move that was but i think we had to mention that ivan reitman produced this film yes yes and it's directed by william fruitt uh who i don't know a whole lot about uh, did he do anything else that we uh, would know anything about? Yes, he he did a couple of the things we would know. Interestingly, uh, he actually did, he actually did some episode of Da Vinci's Da Vinci's Inquest as well. <laughs> There's the link. He did uh, search actually one that we one I want to do on the show. Actually, he, this is so fucked. He did a few movies, Search and Destroy, which I think is a Saxon film. Ah, oh no, yes. listen to this cast: Perry King. It's got Don Stroud, who played the leader of the gang in this film. Tisa Farrow, George Kennedy. Oh, nice. It's uh, members of a Vietnam veterans old army unit start turning up murdered, blah, blah, blah. He did um, uh, Trapped, a.k.a. Baker County, USA with Henry Silva, which we're covering on the show. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> he did Spasms, which I own on oh, VHS. Can you hear one of my dogs barking? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, he's he's uh, he's awake. <laughs> uh, and he also did some Lonesome Dove TV episodes and Friday the 13th, the TV show. So... Again, sort of a workman director. Yeah, this uh, he actually did this really bad film, too, that I know of called uh, Killer Party. Nice. I've heard of that. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible movie. Paul Bartel shows up in it. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll be talking about the Fruit again at some point in time. And this is written and directed by him. So uh, a little auteurship going on here. Yes. He's still working, too, really. I mean, he did The Egg Factory in 2008, which... I don't, you know, I don't know. Either way, so we'll talk about Death Weekend a little bit here. We can talk about it. Uh, okay, first things first. You mentioned hyenas. You're talking about one of the King Daddy hyenas, though. You're talking about Don Stroud or Strode. Yes. I think it's Stroud, though. 
Stroud, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and I just watched him not too long ago in Coogan's Bluff, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny to see him. That guy has always intimidated me for some reason. He's always one of the creepiest-looking people. Talk about an Ironside-like person. He's got a great look to him. He's tall. He's got the jaw. Um, he really has that look and sort of the intensity to pull off the bad guy. Uh, he did, interestingly, Sloan of the Slaughter films with... <laughs> Jim Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he's a, uh, I know he's notorious. Uh, you know, he, uh, posed for Playgirl. Uh, evidently. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> evidently he's, uh, well equipped. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in real life, uh, you know, I think he lost an eye. Somebody, he was, uh, stopping a mugging and a guy stabbed him in the eye with a knife. No way. Are you serious? Yeah. Look at modern pictures of him. He's got a glass eye. Fuck. So, that's. Well, good on him for being a good Samaritan. It's just bad it turned out the way it did. Yeah, but he's a, a real-life tough guy. So, you know, this guy's this guy's the real deal. And uh, I always remember him as uh, Buddy Holly's drummer in uh, the Buddy Holly story from with uh, Gary Busey. <laughs> he was actually in uh, I haven't seen that in years. Yeah, he's actually in that with him. So pretty good stuff. But anyway, so this film is a, is a little bit Straw Dogs, uh, a little bit Siege movie, a little bit Last House on the Left. Uh, starts out a little bit Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> Uh, some good stuff in the beginning with the cars, and uh, they set up Brenda Vaccaro's character really well with the car love. So uh, you get a payoff later with that, so it all works out, which I really enjoyed. Um, I, I like I like the kind of sleazy setup that the dentist has or the doc has. Uh, this guy's got the uh, the old peeping tom house down pat, <laughs> to say the least. Are you there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's, he, I love that he's not sort of the, the knight on a white horse. He's a scumbag. Yeah, he really is. And, uh, you know, I was hoping to see more Brenda Vicaro nudity. I, I know her mostly from, uh, uh, you know, like voice work and stuff like that. And she always plays like the mom on a TV show or something like that. But uh, I didn't know her to be like a – I think we we talked about her before in uh, Midnight Cowboy. And then, of course, Doc Zom talked about her in the 18-hour, or was it Doc Zom that talked about her, or somebody else talked about her in the 18-hour bra commercials? <laughs> uh, well, he was in, she was in Capricorn 1. I think she played Brolin's wife, if I remember correctly. Yeah. She's got a very distinctive voice. Yes, she does. That's what you really know about her. But, uh, yeah, I love the sleazy setup of his big cottage in the in the hills. And that thing's not a cottage, dude. That's a mansion. Yeah, it's a nice-looking <laughs> uh, house. Yeah. The film feels pretty low budget and simple. It almost has a. It, the film almost almost has, except for the car stuff at the beginning and some stuff toward the back end of the film. It almost feels like it could have been a stage play because it's pretty much set up. A lot of the uh, dialogue and stuff is set up in the kind of big room of the house. Yes. So there's a lot of dialogue exchanges and stuff, and I really think some of that stuff is the strongest parts of the movie. Uh, I was hoping that the car chase stuff, it's good. It's good. It's solid and stuff. And the cars are great. you got a convertible Corvette and you got a, um, uh, I think it's a Firebird, uh, like a 68, 69 Firebird, I think. and Or maybe a Camaro, one or the other. And, uh, you know, you get some great stuff there. Uh, I think the one weakness of the film, one of the weaknesses of the film, and I don't know how you felt about this, but Don Stroud is great. The problem is his gang is kind of lame. Well, it's it's almost like I'm trying to think of a, an incident where a sports team where they've had one star and he just had to throw that, that team on his back. Well, I mean, let's talk about well, LeBron James when he first came into the NBA. It's a perfect example. He had a bunch of scrubs and it was him. <laughs> well, Stroud is the sort of, I guess, the, the LeBron James in this case because he's fantastic in this film. Fantastic. But 
his gang is is pretty lame. I mean, he's got one guy that looks a bit like uh, William Sanderson. Yes, yes. But, but less attractive somehow. Yes. Uh, <laughs> how is that uh, possible even? <laughs> I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, one guy that has no teeth. Uh, these don't look like men. It looks like they assembled sort of rough-looking men as opposed to a, a gang that looked like they were his age. Yes. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they needed is they needed to have like the Cohen's eyes for casting, you know, to have that, you know, those great faces. They tried to cast faces here and it didn't work out because a lot of these guys don't work. Now, the dentist is fine. He plays the smug kind of ass perfectly. Uh, Brenda Vaccaro's fine. And uh, Don Stroud's fine. Like I said, those those three, they're fine. The central characters of the film are fine. It's oh, just yeah. It's just the, uh, you know, the kind of ancillary characters that are kind of bad. And with saying that, this film really is a kind of... Uh, influenced by last house on left because you even get some bumbling comedy uh with the two drunk gas station attendants uh yeah i guess you do to a degree sadly no martin cove though yes <laughs> yes sadly no martin cove but i mean it's not nearly to the level of that but you know what i'm saying i mean it just kind of comes out of nowhere in some way and i felt like all of a sudden i'm watching a movie about you know <laughs> some podunk county in kentucky as opposed to someplace in canada because <laughs> these guys are in ontario drinking- <laughs> nonetheless yeah, these guys are drinking uh moonshine uh <laughs> Because <laughs> he gives them a couple bottles, and I'm guessing that's moonshine. Uh, that's what it looks like down here. So you know, not, yeah, it looked like it. Not that I know anything about it because it's illegal. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I just use it to remove paint from my house. So yes. there you go. Uh, but yeah, it's got some bumbling comedy moments, which I I found that kind of odd and kind of weird that it kind of picks that up. And uh, it takes a little long to get going. Uh, I like the beginning setup. I don't really see the need. And I mean, I understand the logic of setting up the car stuff. In the beginning. But, you know, watching the trailer for this film or watching some of the stuff for this film and everything else, I've always thought that Death Weekend was a movie about... Uh, I thought... Here's what I honestly thought. I did no research on this film when we went in. You just said you wanted to cover it. I knew of it. I've never seen it. I knew of the poster. I knew of everything else. And I knew Don Stroud was in it. I knew all this stuff. But I always thought it was a movie like Duel or a movie like um, uh, Tulane Blacktop or something. A road... Uh, kind of a road stalking type movie. Because a lot of the stuff I've ever seen about it has always kind of sold the car chase. You know what I mean? But the and, and like you touched on, Sammy, the car chase is really good for a low budget film of featuring two nice cars. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would have been ramming my convertible Corvette into my Firebird. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have been very happy. And then they drive that Firebird right into the uh, to the the creek there, or as we into like to the say, drink. Yeah, as we said in here, the creek. The crick, yeah. yeah. They drive it right into the crick, you know. And uh, Don Stroud's not too. Not, he's he's uh, as they would say, he's none too plussed about yeah. the uh, about the his car and the drink, yeah. and he manages to take it out on his uh, goons. Of course, you know, two scenes later, he's completely dry after he's been d- uh, doused in the crick. That uh, that glorious Ontario sun. <laughs> yes, yeah, very warm up there. Evidently, I, I do want to mention actually, oddly, both these films being Canadian, and. The interesting thing is both of them were set in seasons that they clearly didn't take uh, – they weren't right. shot during. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the the, – I can tell you in Nova Scotia winter, there's a lot of snow and it's fucking cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like I can tell you an Ontario summer, there's still leaves on the trees and <laughs> whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it was pretty warm when I was up there. It wasn't the summer. It was the beginning of the fall, but it was pretty warm when I was up there. I never – I don't think I wore a jacket one time we were there. No, no, and that was uh, mid-September. Yeah. You know, this thing seems to have been shot, if I had to guess, early spring maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the good but stuff, anyway. yeah, but some of the good stuff we get, we get uh, Stroud and his gang riding through a camp uh, scene with a pretty impressive, I have to admit, stunt. The old uh, 
hanging onto the window open, driving a car stunt. I wouldn't have done that stunt. That stunt looked dangerous, man. The way that guy was that, legs were coming so close to that back tire. You saw the exact same thing I did. I looked at that stunt, Mike. What it is is this, they, they dupe this cop into sticking his arm in the window, and they hang onto it, and they drive off. That fucking bastard's legs look like they just about, I mean, you know, a few more a foot, they would have been underneath the back wheel of the car. Oh, they would have been crushed. It was bad news bears, but you're right. It was impressive, man. Yeah, it was. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. So basically then we get a movie that turns into a siege movie. And I'm not going to give anything away about the back end of the film, any twist, plot twist or whatnot. But I'll just say that it turns into a little bit of a a siege movie, a little bit of a – there's a little bit of chaos. There's some more comedy moments, including a speedboat and stuff that's kind of, you know, kind of – kind of crazy but you know it gives them a lot of production value for the film you know it kind of makes it feel like it's got a bigger budget than it actually does yes so that works uh again i just think it's the gang that's miscast or just not cast well enough or something uh but the stroud the carl scenes the stroud and the doc scenes uh, those are really good um you know they say a rape takes place uh, one does but you really i don't recall seeing a whole lot i mean it's it's a it's not the typical ggtmc rape it's not like a big racket uh on the victim rape uh or 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 a cry of a prostitute uh sodomize her whilst she's in a pig carcass or yes. her face is in a pig carcass yes that's still that's still my favorite rape scene uh that's a terrible thing to say anyway uh, you, sorry what did you just say sammy that's a, that's, a, that's my still my favorite rape scene uh, which is a terrible thing to say well it is pretty good for what it is yeah it's just so bizarre so uh but yeah, I mean, I, I like that. I like this. I like all the stuff that takes place now. When you once they get inside the house and everything's going on, I like that. I like that Stroud's character is very angry that the doc has all this money and he doesn't. There's a lot of entitlement going on there. That Stroud's very mad, you know, that at the world he's a very angry young man and he he kind of lashes out the doc a little bit and stuff. And, and you get some great moments. And I don't want to give you anything away that happens at the back end of the film. All I want to say, my last note for the film, though, Will, is all I got to say is I don't understand. And I, and I can say this to you because you saw the film, but I don't want you to give anything away, but I, hopefully you'll understand what I'm saying. I don't understand the very last like minute of the film. I got kind of confused at why she flashed back on what she flashed back on and why they did that. I, I don't want to say anything more than that, but and I think and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. It just seems kind of it seemed kind of bizarre to me. I don't know if you could look at it as. <laughs> Not necessarily Stockholm syndrome, or if you could look, it wasn't long enough really to be Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, I don't know if maybe they were. See, I kind of interpreted it as um, a testament to, and this is. I hope this doesn't sound misogynistic. Cause I don't mean it to be mm-hmm. to her femininity in that she humanized someone who had almost dehumanized her. Or had intended to. Okay, okay. So, like, maybe a guilt thing, maybe? Something like that? Yeah, because she was a good person. She was, okay. you know, the feminine side of her. I can go with that. I can go with that. That was my interpretation, whether it could be way off. Yeah, it was so odd, though. I mean, it just felt so weird. And and yeah. it just felt really out of place, you know, and stuff. And I, and I enjoyed that back end, you know, the stuff that was going on and stuff. I really enjoyed all that. But that came out of nowhere and, and I actually rewound it like four times to watch it. And I'm like, am I missing something here? Is there a scene missing? You know, uh, you know, did, uh, the people that got a hold of Mahawkus film get a hold of this one too, you know, <laughs> but I, I didn't know what was going on. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there without giving anything away and see what you thought. But, uh, you know, with that explanation, uh, that interpretation, I should say, 
Uh, that's a pretty good one. I, I think I could go with that. I, c- I could see that. That makes a little bit more sense to me now. So that's all my notes on Death Weekend. I'll kick it over to you. I do want to say something interesting. Mike's been showing me, as you were saying, your your notes. Um, interestingly, Don Stroud was in a film called The Killer Inside Me, which was written by Jim Thompson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is back in 1976. Yeah, yeah. The, the novel Jim Thompson wrote... Um, yeah, the one they're remaking, the one that's kind of infamous at Sundance right now. Well, that's the strange thing. The original had Keenan Wynn, Don Stroud, Stacey Keach, uh, and now this is the one from Sundance that Brian saw that said it was his film of Sundance, and it's the one you and I are just chomping at the bit to see with Casey Affleck and Jessica Alba and uh, Kate Hudson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually knew, just recently I'd read an article about that film and actually knew there was a Stacey Keach version, and I was going to seek it out. So uh, it's I think funny. we should seek it out. Yeah, we should check it out. Yeah, well, I'll hook you up, Mike. Don't worry. <laughs> hook me up. I want to see it. I read the book ages ago. Yeah, nice. nice. So, yeah, and Stacy Keach plays the uh, the Casey Affleck role. So Stacy and Casey. Yeah, yeah Lou Ford. Yeah, oh, Lou nice. Ford seems like a real rotten son of a bitch. But yeah, evidently. Yeah. Never serves me correct. He's the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so interesting. So those are all my notes on uh, Death Weekend. Let's hear what you think about it. Okay, uh, this was my pick, and of course this film is available from Cinema Day Bazaar. It's a pretty good print, considering it's never seen DVD, and it's old, and it's rare. Uh, there was this interesting phenomenon that occurred in this film where it would sort of fast-forward a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. The footage, the footage sped up a touch. Now, everything was still in sync, and it doesn't detract from the viewing, but it was a bit of a quirky thing that I didn't know if if uh, if uh, William Fruitt was a big Sam Peckinpah fan, or... Yeah, well, it's it's funny you say that. Uh, this trivia I was just looking at on uh, IMDb says William Fruitt actually wrote the film several years earlier, but didn't pursue shooting it at the time because Straw Dogs had just come out, and he feared the Death Weekend would be viewed as an imitator of that film. Yeah, no, I, that that is sort of interesting and ironic. Um, this is a film that I believe was made under the tax shelter, which a lot of films were made in Canada at that time. I think a lot of Cronenberg's early films, yeah. uh, yeah. Rabid, uh, Shivers, The Brood. Uh, the Brood was also done under the... I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there because oh. it's early Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah. No, but I know that two or those other two ones were funded by the Canadian government. Yeah, you know, yeah. Shivers and Rabbit both give me the chills, and I cannot stand watching those films. They're good films, man. Yeah. Good films. Um, yeah, because the tax shelter, to give people an idea or an explanation, I believe, if my maths... You may know different, Mike. Basically, if they shot films here, 60% of the money they could get back... So films would cost literally half as much, or less than half as much here. Yeah, they're doing the they're kind of doing the same thing here in the states now in New Mexico. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff being shot in New Mexico. Yep, a lot of stuff is being shot in New Mexico now because of tax breaks. Yeah, um, you talked about the car chase. I won't mention too much. Like I said, a good value for a lower budget film. Uh, I want to say that, uh, and Chuck uh, Chuck Shimada is the is Harry the douchey dentist. Yeah. <laughs> he's quite the uh, working man's actor too. I'm just looking at his. Um, God, he's done a lot of TV. I mean, he's got 75 TV credits, uh, including Kojak. Yeah, I, I've seen this guy and stuff before, and I remember where I've seen him before. He was uh, in the Terry Fox story, the TV movie from 1983. Yeah, yeah. Terry Fox, who gets my vote as the greatest Canadian. Yes. Uh, brings me tears to my eyes just thinking about Terry Fox. Uh, he was in Cinderella Man, The Day After Tomorrow, The Sentinel. What? He was in Cinderella Man? Yeah, Father Rorick, I guess it says. Oh, he was good. in Death Wish 5. Well, yes, that makes him awesome, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Even uh, though Death Devlin, Wish Max Devlin. I think that's the, the George Burns film, isn't it? Uh, maybe. Oh, no, Elliot Gould and Bill Cosby. Sorry, I'm thinking of Oh God, You Devil, or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah, that's part three of the Oh God trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so he's, he's another working man's uh, actor. Nice. But we see how douchey and how ratty the dentist is because he's got a fucking two-way mirror <laughs> yeah. where he's spying on Brenda Vaccaro while she's getting changed. Yes. And he's sort of boasting to locals how he's going to you know, lay her down and... Blah blah blah. So I like that. It was an interesting thing that he wasn't the knight, and, you know, the white steed. Um, oh man, this dude, this dude Chuck Shimada's in a film I've been wanting to see forever. Which uh, Richard Crenna uh, and Paul Williams, uh, Stone Cold Dead. Oh yeah, I was just looking at that. That does look kind of awesome. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I've always heard it's kind of a, a Canadian take on the Giallo. Is what I've always heard. Well, interestingly, I have a Canadian Jallo that John Saxon's in. I can't remember the name of it. It's on that Grindhouse set. We got to do this movie. Paul Williams and Richard Crenna. Paul Williams. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Diminutive Paul Williams. Yes, yeah, him. Yes. It, it, didn't we just mention Paul Williams? No, we mentioned William Sanderson. Yes. Well, so those two, I kind of they look similar. So we we'll have to look into this. Nice and <laughs> yeah, our usual source, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, I like early on in the film, there's some interesting dialogue. It's not your usual exploitation film nonsense when Vaccaro and him are talking and she's kind of saying about, you know, appreciating smaller things in life and why you're so caught up in this and that. And, you know, he says, I was poor, I didn't have anything. And it gives some psychology a little bit for, for them. And, and I like that. It uh, It's not your usual exploitation film fare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it all it all kind of makes sense. I mean, uh, a lot of guys. I've met a lot of people who uh, grew up with very little money, and uh, then they get money and they get out there and they get a little wacky and crazy with it and and arrogant and they forget where they're from and and things like that. Uh, I like the scenes between him and Vicaro because uh, it could have been very cliche, mm. and she kind of fights back with him a little bit. And uh, of course, you know, he gets a little upset, and as as men tend to do when they're a little too excited. And uh, you know, but and he says some terrible things. He's a douchebag, and there's no doubt about that. His character's not, you know, you're not made to feel sorry for him in a lot of ways. But I fe- that felt real to me. It felt real that uh, you know he's just kind of he's a playboy. You know, he wants to have sex with as many women as possible. He wants everything. He wants you know he's got a boat. He's got five cars. He's got this huge place on the lake. And so why wouldn't he want every woman he possibly could get a hold of? Oh, exactly. Exactly the, the the motivations there. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentioned something I've heard before, and he talks about dentists have the highest suicide rates. Uh, yeah, is that true? I've heard that before, um, and <laughs> I, I don't know why that is. Um, That's kind of weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I want to say his theory about models being wild in bed is bullshit. <laughs> I've been with a few models, and they're probably the worst lays. Not to be piggish. Yes. <laughs> but if I can sort of, you know, discuss with the dentist, sort of trade notes here. Uh, I don't know where he's going with that. That there was, you know, I call bullshit on his theory. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I like that they established Vaccaro. A lot of times in these movies, the woman gets brutalized and she gets raped and she's victimized and then she sort of the switch goes on like uh, Keaton, Camilla Keaton in I Spit on Your Grave. She's sort of a shell and then she becomes this sort of uh, you know one woman army but she becomes becomes, what she becomes is Charles Bronson that's what she becomes. Yeah. Yeah the scene in the bathtub is great in I Spit on Your Grave. Uh, 
they really establish Vaccaro early on in this film as a woman who can handle herself. You see her proficiency with driving the cars as well as fixing the boat motor. So I like that they make her a very useful, I don't want to say not useful, that's the wrong word, a woman who can handle the the more quote-unquote physical stuff that's yeah. going to be part of her later on. Yeah, even Don Stroud, if you didn't know that, John Stroud let you know because every other line in the beginning is, damn, that bitch can drive. Literally, that was what he says. <laughs> yeah, he says it several times, actually. Yeah, yeah he was very impressed. Um, we talked to, yeah, about Stroud, how he was very good. Uh, do, 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 do. What does this say? <laughs> Oh, oh it just it, you get you get that class envy with the the goons when they get to his place and they're really just annoyed that he has this and yeah, I mean that that's some of the stuff I enjoy the most. That's probably uh, everything I enjoy the most about this film takes place once the goons get in the house. Yeah, and they're really just saying like you fucking you know you asshole. Who are you to think you get all this? And the irony is he was probably from what we've heard in the film as poor as them, but because he worked his ass off, he's got it. Mm-hmm. Now he's a pushover and he's got no spine. So he doesn't really fight back at first. But, you know, that was the irony in it, is yeah. that he was probably just as poor as they were, if not poor. Yeah, there's a really, good, a really great scene of disgust with the $50 vase or vase. Oh, yes. Hey, $50 to put a plan in? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's more broken glass and shattered things and shattered porcelain in this film than any movie we've watched since Jackie Chan's police story. Yeah, I have to think that they must have got a deal on that place, like they were going to destroy everything in it or something, and they just thought, hey, you know, we can shoot this movie here and we'll destroy it for you. Or they went to a flea market in northern Ontario and bought all those <laughs> stupid little porcelain trinkets they have. Yeah. There's you a got, lot of you know, them, man. It bought them all up and smashed them. <laughs> this is a film that a lot has been made of the fact that it's it's a bit of a it's, it's a well done one. Uh, there's not a lot of gore and exploitation. When the gore finally happens with the William Sanderson lookalike, it's pretty good actually. Pretty nasty. Yes, it is. I mean, it's really nasty. Uh, and there was a you know we talked about the stunt. There's a, a really good fire stunt where someone's running around. They're on fire, and you can see their hair flapping. It's not like that. Like oh that yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire suit that you yeah. always see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, somebody got burned on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it sounds awful to laugh, but no, you're right. It's uh, it's like you remember when we watched um, when we watched the Rage, and we talked about yes. that guy jumping out of the boat, and we were both like, somebody got hurt there. There's no yeah, way yeah. around it. Yeah, you're right. That fire stunt, too. and you know, fire stunts are, are are truly some of the most dangerous stunts because you know when you're on fire, you can't breathe because it, the fire is taking all your oxygen. Mm-hmm. So. Those fire stunts, man, I don't know how those guys do it, and I would not want to do it, ever. No. No. Um, there's a wonderful payoff with sort of uh, with a swamp. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Somebody. It's not nobody we know hitting me up. It's a spam this time. Somebody wants me to be their girlfriend. Yeah, Zom got some spam. He thought <laughs> a lovely lady was hitting him up. but Yeah. Uh, yeah. Say la vie, Zom. Say la vie. We all get hit by that. <laughs> Yes. There, but yeah, there's a wonderful path with a swamp or a marsh or quicksand or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you knew it was coming, you know, the formula of genre films, but I love... Well, they set it up in the early in the movie. Yeah, they set it up very early, but I love that the guy's he's in this thing, he's sinking, and he says, help me. And she just pushes his head down under, and you just hear the scream, and then the gurgle, gurgle. Yep. Just, have at you that ever, point, she's... Have you ever gotten stuck in a bug? Uh, nope. It's one of the most terrifying experiences you'll ever have. I have gotten stuck in one up to my waist before, and it was terrifying. 
That wasn't the night with the joyride with the car, was it? No, 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 no. But uh, what it was is we were crossing a creek, <laughs> so to speak, and uh, Don Stroud was in there and his firebird was in the way and we had to go around it. No, uh, no, but we, we were in the creek and uh, I got stuck in some mud and I tried to walk out of it and I lost my shoes. So I thought, well, I need to go back and get my tennis shoes. My mom and dad are going to kill me if I don't get my tennis shoes back. So I go back in to get my tennis shoes and I'm digging in and the pressure of me bending over and digging in for my shoes I started to sink, oh boy. and I got all the way up to about, uh, well, about to buy dangly bits, the old wedding tackle, <laughs> and finally somebody was able to kind of pull me out. It wasn't like quicksand or anything, but, man, it was terrifying because after a certain point, you can't move. You know, it's, it's, it's you freaky. yeah, it's you versus the earth, and uh, I can tell you this right now, earth typically wins that fight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a freaky experience, and to say the least, if I ever lose another shoe in a mud bog, I'm not going back to get it ever again. The so shoe can stay in the mud bog, yes. all because I thought I was going to get in trouble. That's crazy. That's that's something a kid would do, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I was just thinking about my son. Like, yeah, no, that's, I agree. that's that's the way kids think. You know, they'll 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 risk life and limb sometimes to avoid getting in trouble. Uh, as an aside, I can't believe how much weight Paul Williams put on for this uh, this film, Stone Cold Dead. I'm looking at. Uh, it is on our usual source. Yes. Oh, is he huge? Uh, is he big and big and fat? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He got fat for a while. So. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, th- this film ends with uh, a really nice silent standoff, with the only noises being guns and the car engine and and it being driven from the floor of the car, which was pretty impressive, no less. And <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, it, there's a body flopping around on top of her, and it's. I like that they ended it like that. I always love in films like the opening of the mechanic, like I talked about a few weeks ago, or any of these films where they have faith in silent visual medium of film to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know if you set everything up correctly, you don't need any more dialogue to make things pay off. No, no. But uh, those are all my notes. All right, so we'll get into some make or breaks and stuff. My make or break for this film is going to be the scenes in the house. I really love those scenes. I love the conversations between Stroud and uh, our uh, our Harry dentist. Does that one well, Harry? He was pompous. His name was Harry. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might have been Harry. He, he never his end game never proved fruitful for him. So that, that's true. That's true. Uh, uh, okay. Whoa, man, that is a fat Paul Williams. Isn't it? Whoa. I mean, that's like Fat Elvis, dude. Man, there's some ugly people in this movie. <laughs> but the, no, the blonde, the, the black chick looks like a tranny, but the blonde's pretty hot, surprisingly. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's our boys right there on the picture. Right there with, yeah. the, right there with the Richard Crenna. Nice. Nice. And I love, I love that Chuck Schmidt is wearing a peacoat turned up. Oh, yeah. It's a media home entertainment. Nice. Media. Nice. That's gonna, right. Yeah. That's going to have to come. That's going to come sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, we got to. Yeah, we. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I really like the scenes in the house. I mean, I really like that. I like the social dichotomy of those scenes. Uh, you know, rich man, poor man. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, of course, you know, he said that, you know, he's worked and got himself up there, but that guy don't care because he feels like he's entitled to all the good things too, Don Stroud. And, you know, he just, he's very jealous, very angry, as people can sometimes get when it comes to people having something they don't have or doing something that they want to do, things like that. You know, very childish, but it happens. It happens all the time. Uh, my MVT for this film is going to be Stroud. Actually, uh, I just think he's a he's a he's a fun. He's a, he's a fun. He's a lot of fun. 
he uh you know he's kind of like uh our, one of our, our favorite kind of uh bag actors you know he's like a tasmanian devil he comes in he's spinning he and literally in this film he spins and destroys the whole house and and uh you know he's like wah, 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 you know and all that crazy stuff and <laughs> and uh, next thing i know you know he's just gone crazy so but he has such a great face and he's so intimidating and he really is in a lot of ways like a michael ironside light or maybe a michael ironside heavy in some regards i really like him a lot and, I think the sixty-four thousand dollars question is: He better than Hass as Krug? Uh, well, you know the problem with the Krug uh, character is is that Hess isn't a good actor. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say this now, and I don't care if this gets me in trouble with the horror fans or not. David Hess is a terrible actor. He's a better songwriter than he is an actor. All right, now I know you don't like some of the music, but I'm talking about you know I'm all shook up and shit like that stuff. He's actually written you know stuff he wrote for Elvis. Yeah, I'm talking about you know he's actually a good songwriter. Maybe not so much in Last House, but whatever. But he's not a good actor. The road <laughs> leads to nowhere. I think you've now sang that song on this show at least six times. I love it. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, I don't think he's a good actor. But I think the problem is, is the Krug character was so powerful, is he got associated with it because you know he's always been Krug. Yeah. And he's been that character forever, and he'll he'll never be anything else. Actually, if you think about it, has he ever been? I mean, he's been in other movies, but every time you see him, what do you think of? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he even reprises the Krug role in House of the Edge of the Park. It's identical. Yes, exactly. I mean, he he he. It's one of those situations where somebody gets pigeonholed so badly, and you know he's kind of you know he's got bad guy looks and stuff. But the thing is, he's never really kind of capitalized on those. I liked him in uh, Swamp Thing, West Craven Swamp Thing. He played a bad guy, military dude, and that he was kind of funny in that, but. Uh, you know, I mean, come on, he's just not a good actor, man. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not saying anything that everybody does can't. I mean, if anybody out there thinks he's a good actor, please, I want to hear your argument. I, I want I want you to give me give me a film where he's a good actor, please. Other than Last House on the Left, arguably, and House on the Edge of the Park, yes, which is the same film. <laughs> so, in Italy, though, yes, in <laughs> Italian, people. Well, actually, that's true because they they are sweatier in that movie. Yes. <laughs> In, uh, oh, he was pretty good in Hitch, but again, it's the Krug role, actually. Yeah, yeah in Hitchhike, he was good with Nero, but he's playing Krug again. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, give me something where he's not playing Krug. That's what I want. So that's a challenge for everybody. Uh, I'm waiting for a female listener to call in and say that they would do David Hess. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> uh, and, and okay, so my score for this film is a seven out of ten. I, I liked it, but I think it's it's got some pacing issues. I think it could have been more brutal. Uh, I know that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I don't feel like it was brutal enough. And I don't know if you felt that way. I mean, it was there's some brutal moments, but I just felt like it could have been a lot nastier. And I just didn't feel like it was nasty enough, nasty enough to be, you know, like one of the great exploitation films. It's a solid one, but I think it could have went a lot further. And uh, I kind of felt let down by that a little bit. So I give it a seven out of ten. So I'll kick it over to you. And let you talk about what you want to talk about there. Okay, my make or break are the early scenes with Ficaro. She establishes herself as very likable, very capable, very grounded, morally upstanding, without seeming um, self-righteous, mm-hmm. which I liked. Yeah. Um, my MVT is the three leads in the film, uh, oh. Stroud, Shmuda, and Ficaro. They all do a great job. Like you know, I guess it's really not a one-man show with Stroud's gang. It's a one-man show, but... The three of them, I think if you don't have those performances, the film doesn't really hold up because somehow Shmuda turns himself a little bit, redeems himself a little bit. Um, but they do a wonderful job. I agree with you. I think it could have been a little more brutal. Um, it would have really cranked the score up because the acting and everything else 
was really good. So to make it a little more brutal would have further just drove home, uh, you know, a classic sort of exploitation film. But yeah, I uh, mean, and and you know, it, it didn't have to go all the way to like Straw Dogs brutal. No, but it just needed a little bit more, and that's why and that's why I felt kind of let down by it. So yeah. Um, Oh, my score is the same as yours. It's a 7 out of 10. Okay, nice. So I agree. I think it's a very good film. Um, I'm glad I saw it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't have the gut punch that some of the others in the genre do. Yeah. Uh, By by comparison, and not to sound crass or callous, the quote-unquote rape scene in this, you know, if you compare it to what happens in Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave... Being the two most obvious examples, this is like flowers and poetry compared to that. Yeah, uh, that's another problem I had. Uh, this rape scene is just—it just didn't give me. Uh, I don't want to say that. I was going to say it just doesn't give me what I wanted. But uh, no, no, I know what you mean. It, 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 it. Yeah, I mean, listen, rape is rape. There's no getting around that. But, but it's—it's it's got to be something that drives you to get on the side of a character. And I never felt like it drove me to get on the side of the character the way, just. You know, Stroud was being toward him in general. I was already against him, but it, it didn't push it over the edge. I was already against him. It didn't really take me anywhere. And I'm surprised in the pecking order of the gang, Goggles got to go first. Yeah, yeah, that was bizarre, too. Just a weird choice. I don't, I don't know. I, that, that's this part of the clunkiness of the film. I think it's just got some, some bad choices. But, uh, yeah, my score is a 7 out of 10. Um, and uh, maybe we should see the Avalanche Express. Lee Marvin, Robert Shaw, Linda Evans, Maximilian Schell, Joe Namath, Horst Buchholz, Claudio Castanelli, David Hess. I'm already ahead of you, buddy, because I own that film. <laughs> Let's get into it. Is Hess any good in it? Uh, not that I recall. But Joe Namath is. <laughs> I had another Namath film, uh, maybe OJ's in it too, where there's a virus on a train. Uh, I can't remember what big, that one was. Big, big cast. I think Nero's in it too. I remember uh, that. Uh, I think Lightning Bug sent me on the Secret Santa. I just outed him, but I think he sent me uh, a name of film called CC and Company. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I got uh, I got all kinds of Joe Namath movies running around here. It's impressive. All right. So that is our review of uh, Death Weekend, and uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We got a lot of feedback to get into, so we'll be back right after this. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Choose from Chainsaw Dismemberment, Nightmare 8, Da Da Da, by your sickness fantasy. It's tricky. Very nice. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. No more room in hell. The dead will walk here. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Destroy the Marines and Lewis's only horror and cult movie podcast since 2007. Visit us at destroythebrainonline.com. This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. It's going to go. 
first offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. Mary, attention, please. In a moment, the beat will be played in many parts. Very Back from uh, from break here, we got uh, some feedback this morning. So <laughs> you laughing at the music? <laughs> that was the 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 like the song that put hip hop on the map in Canada. Nice, nice. Or outside of Canada, it's good old Maestro Fresh West. Nice. <laughs> and it's got a nice feel. Got a nice old school feel to it. I liked it a lot when I heard it. Yeah, it's great, great stuff. Anyone who's Canadian, I promise you, like you're on our age, knows and probably loves that song. I mean. Unless they were very anti anything, you know, uh, of a different genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I uh, heard that and I was like, yeah, this is this is funky. I like this <laughs> a little old school stuff. So I'll make sure to put it in the feedback. Very nice. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna get started with our emails then, I guess. Yes, sounds good. We're gonna start them off on the right foot or the right gums, shall we say? Bjornar writes in with the title "The Not So Pretty Women That Make Our Days Easier." My dearest gentlemen, I could not resist to chime in on the challenge you gave in the Savano 7 episode and hear my choices. Feruza, giant gums bulk. Yep, that one. Since I first <laughs> saw her, I've always found her super hot. And it's weird for me since she almost always plays the obnoxious rocker chick and she was a total bitch in American History X. <laughs> she does something for me. I just have no idea what. And another thing, Big Willie, Sandra Bernhardt is hot. You have a supporter on that, even though there's no way in hell I could explain why. Not much movie talk this time, but I will return like warts on your man of war. You're Norwegian beef, Bjornar. <laughs> Norwegian beef. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I had a buddy uh, that I hung out with for about a good four or five years, six years maybe. Uh, we were in a band together, and he was really into, uh, man, this, this uh, <laughs> Doc Zom is, is hitting me up while we're doing a show. Nice. <laughs> if you just heard the Skype thing. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, we... Uh, uh, let me see if I can get this get rid of this real quick. <laughs> um, he Anyway, he was totally into her. And uh, I, I never could see it, honestly. But I can understand. Uh, I could see it. Um, uh, again, I think she certainly is a prime candidate for that. But... No, I could definitely see it, and I'm glad the, the Sandra Bernhardt army is growing day by day. Yeah. I say it's getting larger every day. <laughs> yes. All right. You've almost, you almost got me, even though I never really, I mean, I never said she wasn't. You've almost got me convinced that she's going into my top five uh, of the. <laughs> Alongside the likes of Raquel Welch and Ursula. Uh, well, no, no, maybe my top five ugly but sexy. Uh, okay, fair enough. We, uh, we, we, we sound so piggish sometimes. <laughs> ah, that's okay. We are men. Are we not? Yes. Um, I want to thank Brian and actually Zach on the board, uh, on our Facebook group for <laughs> showing us the way of uh, a Swedish awards show where we get to see Dolph Lundgren in a tuxedo speaking Swedish, singing Elvis, and karate chopping ice. So thank oh, yeah. you for that. Nice. Is that the uh, is that the little less conversation video? 
Yes. Yes, yes. A little less conversation, a little more action. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Man. It's, it's, you got to see it. Just type in, I don't know, Dolph Lundgren, Elvis or something. I'm sure you'll find it. It's on my Facebook. Uh, if, you're, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, I think uh, Doc Zahn put it on my Facebook file uh, page. Uh, there you go. Somebody did, uh, anyway. Let's see here. Oh, did you um, did you download Metal Mikey's uh, feedback? Uh? Uh, yes, I have it. I just kept the email for uh, future reference because Mikey's going to be on the show. Just to give everybody an idea, he's going to be on the show uh, possibly next month. And uh, he's got his two films on there, so I just wanted to keep it on there so we can keep that. Uh, gotcha. Okay, I want to thank Sean for, as usual, sending us in some interesting links. Um, do you want me to keep reading while you sort of tinker with stuff or – uh, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know why that popped up. Uh, Doc Zom sent me that message at nine o'clock last night, and here it is. It just popped up this morning. So, oh, wow. Here uh, yeah, I was getting ready to blast him on Skype and say, "Hey, quit hitting me up, man! I'm recording a, a show that you like. You know the show you like. I'm recording it." <laughs> but uh, he's not there. Actually, he's probably asleep, or he's uh, uh, wrestling with Ric Flair nude or something. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Nice. Uh, our next one is from great friend of the show, Heaven's Trash, or Will. Uh, ah, yes, 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 yes. His, his Marine uh, thoughts. He was talking about this on Twitter. Yes. Uh, he says some thoughts on Marine. <clears throat> Hang on here. Got the snow falls a little bit. Seems like I'm <laughs> fucking always sick. Um, <laughs> hi, guys. Just drop a quick line uh, to say thanks for covering the two Marine films. But after hearing your thoughts on them, I ordered them from Amazon UK and waited impatiently. The thought of Vincent Cassell as a French crime lord was really just about all it took to sell me, as I consider myself a fan of his work. Wouldn't you know that the one time I'm absolutely dying to see something, that's the time the order takes longer than normal to commit. And, while I'm on the topic, have either of you experienced the strange phenomenon of ordering something from Amazon UK, having it arrive faster than something you order from Amazon US? Oh, yeah. How is that about? Baffling. But I digress. They finally arrived yesterday, and I dove right into them. Absolutely loved them. Very solid films. Cassell really delivered the goods in this, and supporting cast was excellent. I have a feeling that I'm echoing a lot of the same thoughts you guys had on these, so I'll keep it brief. The ferocity and charisma that Cassell brought to the screen at times was really impressive, particularly in the scene of the argument with his first wife after he gets out of jail and is about to leave with his friends. Not every actor can get away with doing things as reprehensible as he does and still have you kind of like the character. A real testament to Cassell's skill with his craft, if you ask me. You guys weren't kidding about his hair in these films. I mean, wow. I wonder if his hair is getting its own royalty checks. If not, it probably should because it put in almost as much work as he did in these right up to the blood-dripping end. It would be easy to name a half dozen films that these remind you of because this kind of subject matter has been covered so many times in film. Seldom do you see it handled this well. I certainly was reminded of elements from Public Enemies and Standard when watching it. The pacing of the films was very well done, too. I was surprised at how rapidly the story moved along, and it really didn't feel like I'd been sitting there watching them for three and a half hours. Thanks again for the coverage, as I somehow had never heard of them. I can't believe that these have been rele- haven't been released in the U.S. I'm sure someone will release them here eventually. They have to. More people should see these. I've been told that they had quite a high-profile release in the U.K., so what gives? They're quite cheap on Amazon uh, U.K., by the way. I only spent £11 for the two of them, which is less than 20 bucks, and they're worth every penny. I'll be revisiting them in years to come. Have either of you heard of a French crime film called The Prophet? Dan from Mondo Movie mentioned it to me yesterday on Twitter, and it sounds like something I'll have to see. Keep up the good work and all the best. Well, a.k.a. Heaven's Trash. Yes. Um, and, of course, uh, Heaven's Trash has a blog, and uh, Will is really knocking uh, 
the uh, the movies for his uh, to watch pile. He is really knocking the hell out of it. I think he's watched more movies than anybody I know so far this year. I think he's over a hundred already. It's just it's a Herculean effort. I know. He's really trying to knock out that two watch pile. <laughs> he made a New Year's resolution. And he's sticking with it. Damn it. Yeah, it's just insane. I mean, I thought I was going in a good clip, but yeah. And then of course we add movies to his pile by saying, "Hey, check out my Marine films." But yeah, he's right about that being a deal. I mean, if you got a region free Blu-ray or a region free player, order those things because they're they're not expensive. Yeah, you, you really can't go wrong. I mean, even if you factor in the, the, the shipping, it's still a pretty reasonable price. Um, as for the pro- a profit, um, you obviously heard us talk about that in the intro, Will. So, um, yeah, uh, I think, does he say anything else we need to touch on? Um, no. I just want to say, I want, I want to say this this morning. I want to say, un profit, un profit. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> un profit. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that's that's, oh, that's my I, best so, French, by the way. Yes. <laughs> that's as good as it gets. Me, me, me. Oui. <laughs> uh, I sent myself a reminder um, in sort of in the spirit of the whole, I guess, sort of ugly over pretty. Um, for those of you that remember the show Married, Married with Children, how could you not? It was really an institution in our day. Um, I was always in the peg camp. Yeah. I would much prefer peg over Kelly any day of the week. I don't know where you sit on this, Sammy. Uh, well, I was never really a big fan of Kelly anyway, um, the actress or or uh, the character. So I would have I would have went toward Peg anyway too. And Peg was a uh, cougar; she always wanted some, but Al wouldn't give it up. I just, I yeah, that just seems so improbable to me. And you get this great cougar, and you just leave reading Bond Bond sort of. You know, yeah. on, man. Well, the show was kind of implausible anyway. I mean, the guy was raising a family on, on a shoeman salary, a shoe yes. salesman salary. So it wasn't very plausible. It wasn't really a plausible movie. It was more, I think, about the the uh, the way that marriage becomes a job after you have children. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's true. It certainly can be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I saw that. And I saw. The, the, I'll give our listeners a behind the scenes. Will sometimes sends himself reminders, and so I'll be checking. We both check our email. We both have we have a, a universal email. It's under my name, but we you know we share it. So you know he knows the password. I know the password. So we go in and check it out throughout the week. And every now and then, you know, and it, it hits me up on my iPhone. So every now and then on my iPhone, it'll just go bling, and I'll look at it and I'll pull it up, and it'll say reminder. And then it just said Peg over Kelly any day, and I was like, what the hell? And then I thought about it for a minute. And I was like, oh, he's talking about married with children. <laughs> but but I get all kinds. I get all kinds. Uh, you know, throughout the week, I'll get all kinds of these weird reminders for uh, Will, and it's pretty funny sometimes because they're his notes. So sometimes I don't know where the hell he's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because sometimes it's sort of cryptic, like not cryptic, but it's just it's it's something that you know a few words that only I would know the reference point for it. So, right. so I'm always like, what, what the hell? I was like, well, he's he's got a motive here. I don't know what it is, but we'll find out. <laughs> and the second reminder, I'm just going to add to the bottom of. Uh, one more second. Okay. Um, the next uh, email is... Now, this one takes the cake. This is from Indie Phantom, and his title is Fugly and Fuckable. Hey, gents. As for ugly women I'd love to bang, Grace Jones and Vamp. Hmm. I have to say... And the funny, the ironic thing is here, he, he put a type one. Instead of saying, she totally took me by surprise, he put... He totally took me by surprise in that film. Nice. Uh, I only watched it for the first time, what, three years? Uh, after many years of neglect, her short hair and high cheekbones don't work for me normally. 
but those eyes were striking that body would make Sorrell's uh, Picard have hard body swoon and drool all over his beard. Seriously, though. I'll go on a major limb and call her the most seductive vampire chick ever. The wigs and outfits that she wears in this film are hotter than fuck. I'm actually getting excited thinking about it. Uh-oh. If I were Chris Makepeace, and that's an actor, by the way, <laughs> yes, uh, I would let her drain me dry. Uh, also, <laughs> while on the skinny side, the early Shelley Duvall is also bangable in my book. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> All right, now, I read this, and I thought, okay, you know, I thought Grace Jones was pretty hot in Vamp, too. I thought she, uh, for some strange reason, I was into that. I don't know if you ever seen Vamp? Uh, I don't know that I have, to be honest. No, you, you haven't, because if you have, you'd remember Grace Jones in it. Uh, she is. She's pretty. Uh, when you do see it, and I, I'm sure you will, because it's a pretty good vampire movie. Actually, you should check it out at some point in time. It's, it, it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, a reinvention of the wheel, but it's pretty fun. I liked it quite a bit. Um, she's undeniably hot. That I think. You know, the thing about Grace Jones is she's aggressive too. She remember we talked about that sexual aggressiveness that uh, Sandra Bernhard has. Oh yeah, Grace Jones is a bit of that too. She's very aggressive. <laughs> yeah, she really is. And, uh, you know, a bit mantastic, sure, but uh, I, I could go that way. Now, Duvall, dude, you're on your own. I, I can't do that. I can't go there. Some strange reason she drives me nuts. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I remember the cover of Vamp for what it's worth. I'm just trying to find some pictures over here. Uh, I'll say this about Grace Jones. If she was good enough for Dolph Lundgren, I guess she's good enough for most of us because they were dating uh, when he first came to America. Yeah. <laughs> um, it would have had some very tall, muscular children. Yeah, it's really Amazonians, uh, some kind of weird uh, Swedish Amazonian <laughs> warriors. Yeah. They, they would have had just warriors. They would have came out with a shield and a, and a fucking weapon of some sort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Shelley Duvall, uh, you know what? I could get behind that. I mean, not anywhere near the same extent uh, as uh, Indy Phantom could, but hey, you know, teach their own. That's. You know, yeah, like yeah. I said, it's very liberating to get some of these off your chest. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the thing. See, I, I want to hear more of these because, you know, I mean, we all have them. Uh, we're anybody that says they don't, they're a liar. Yeah, it doesn't have to be cinematic people. I mean, everyone's got that, you know, that secretary where they work, or the mousy donut shop woman, or you know, you, we've yeah, all got true. these. And Sarah, Sarah, just we, Sarah Palin's a good, Sarah Palin's a good one for me. Sarah Palin's not even ugly. I mean, if, if she didn't have her foot in her mouth, she's she is a grade A, a older woman. Yes, but the, the, her mouth, <laughs> her mouth gets in the way a lot. A to be lot, sure. yes. But uh, yeah, she, you know that that uh, milfiness does something to me, I guess. Oh, but she's she's a stone cold fox. Just look at it from a physical standpoint. Anyone who says otherwise is is lying, and they're they're letting you know politics get in the way of of a perfectly fine coup. Yeah. Don't let the politics get in the way of your piggish behavior, people. No. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, let me just delete some of these reminders. Um, okay. So, the last email we have is from uh, Stefan. And Stefan, it's not Stefan, of course, of Pops and Nicky Fame. It's, no. Uh, this was Stefan. This was a new one. Actually, did also, did I want to say that uh, email from Pickleloaf, that's uh, for that thing you're doing, right? Yes. Okay, okay, good. Because I was kind of confused about that one for a little bit, so... Won't read it on the air, but yeah, we'll save that for yes. the week that I I have that film, by the way. I do too. So okay, good. It's a good choice by him, actually. Yeah, so. we're in good shape there. Uh, okay, good. Uh, this is a short, just a short hello from a new listener. Hey guys, my name is Stefan, thirty years of age, and living in the town of Hildesheim in Germany. Wow. The cinema diabolica does not seem to come back. I was looking for another podcast on classy cinema to quench my thirst. 
so I decided to check out some of the GGTMC episodes. And you can consider me as a new regular listener. Nice selection of movies, good recording and audio quality, and a nice personal touch. Well done. I'm currently making my way through your archives. Thanks for covering Cruising, which has to be one of the most underrated movies ever. Just wanted to let you know, that's all for now. Stefan. It's always amazing to me that somebody in, you know, some village or town in, in uh, Germany is listening to us. Just always amazing to me. Yeah, I, I'm just baffled that there could be, you know, he could be driving through his, uh, you know, wonderful German town on his way to work listening to us <laughs> talking about sleaze. It just, it blows my mind. I say that to my wife sometimes, and when I step back and think about it, it's... It's very cool and very humbling, you know, to say the least. So I mean, yeah. here I am in my pajamas with bedhead at you know, eight thirty in the morning <laughs> talking about this stuff, and, and it's you know, people are digging it. So it's again, it's, it's it's most awesome. It's very complimentary. I mean, it really makes it makes it doing this stuff worthwhile. So we appreciate your uh, email, Stefan. Look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Yes, and I do want to say on the topic of German listeners, where's Uwe, man? That guy just went sort of into the ether. No one's seen or heard from him in, in how yeah. long. Yeah, he, he pulled a big willy on Cinema Diabolica. He was there on every every voicemail for about ten weeks, and then he disappeared for about six. And then, But he's been gone for actually longer than that. He hasn't been called uh, outside the cinema either. I wonder if that whole thing with calling from work uh, pinched him in the butt. Or bit <laughs> him in the ass, I should say, not pinched him in the butt. <laughs> well. You know, to each their own. You can take a bite or a pinch, whatever you're into. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. But well, no, Uwe, if you're around and you can't call, just shoot us an email. Let us know you're okay. Yeah, he's still on the Twitter quite a bit, but uh, yeah, I don't, uh, don't, I haven't heard from him on any of the shows that we listen to. So I don't know where he went. It is. It is strange. All right, let me queue up some voicemails here because we have a plethora. Here we go. Let's see if this plays. Hey, gents, it's Rupert. Um, there we go. I was just watching something the other night I thought <clears throat> I would just mention. I was watching, uh, oddly enough, The Black Stallion. Uh, oh, boy. He started off MGMHP, <laughs> and I wanted to show it to my son, but I was just putting it on before I showed it to him, just to, kind of, just to throw it on for a minute. <clears throat> ended up watching like half an hour of it, and it totally took me back. It was one of those movies, you haven't seen it in a really long time, but it's all very familiar, and suddenly you realize, like, maybe it's one of your earliest movie memories. Like, it strikes some kind of chord where you're like, wow, this, I go way back with this thing. Um, and it was this weird nostalgic thing. Um, <clears throat> and I, I don't remember specifically if it was the first movie I ever saw or anything like that, but I think it was one that I saw early. Maybe it was an early VHS release. Um, so we'd rented it a few times, or it was on cable or something like that. But anyway, it's a really good film, by the way. Uh, and I'd forgotten the Coppola connection, which is interesting. Um, it seems to sort of slip out of uh, the public consciousness as far as kids' films. It's only got a one DVD release. I think it's a pretty crappy DVD I've, I've read. Um, but anyway, um, just wondering if you guys have uh, memories like that, your first movie memory, or, or one that... Really, and you probably talked about it in the show, but I can't remember specifically for both of you. Um, what are the movies like? A couple movies that you saw really on, early on, that really kind of stuck with you, or that when you saw them, maybe somewhat recently, you're like, "Wow, I've, I saw this, you know, so many years ago, but it's still very familiar." It must have been an early one for me. Just curious if you guys had any reminiscences on that stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 
All right, Rupert. Now, you know, the funny thing about this Black Stallion thing, wasn't this brought up a long time ago? Not on our show, but wasn't this part of a what? Somehow, this it brought me back to something that involved you somehow. Yeah, ironically, this was on Cinema Diabolica. Um, I think DZ had was mentioning it, and Felipe was just slamming it and uh, <laughs> yeah. said it was terrible. And yeah. listeners to call in and weigh in on it, and I called in saying I hated Black Stallion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember. I think that. you called in and said you didn't mind it. Uh, yeah, no, I don't mind it. Uh, I mean, I've seen. I mean, it's not a film that I revisit all the time, but uh, you know, I didn't mind it back in the day. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever revisited. It. I mean, I think I saw it when I was a young person, and I haven't watched it again since. I'll probably revisit it when my son is of age to enjoy it. Uh, I have no interest up until now, yeah. group, um, only because, you know, it's one of these things. Black Stallion played a lot here. I think, I don't know if the show was Canadian. There was a Black Stallion show. It was just always fucking on here, and <laughs> I didn't want to know part of it. I mean, it was just enough was enough, so that's yeah. part of the reason I, I don't care for Black Stallion. But I'm sure if I revisit uh, it when I'm older, it'll... Maybe normally my son's older. I should say uh, it'll it'll go over a little better with me. Yeah, yeah. As far as uh, films that uh, automatically take me back, um, I I don't have the normal ones. Uh, I had a very strange uh, childhood when it came to watching movies. So films that automatically take me back are weird ones. Like uh, I think it's Little Foxes or something, the Christy McNichol Tatum O'Neill film, or whatever Little Darlings maybe is what's called, or uh, something like that. Uh, I remember that one. I remember. Um, uh, Bugsy Malone a lot. I remember uh, trying to think. There's another one. Oh, uh, Private Benjamin of all fucking movies. I remember that one. <laughs> nice. Uh, certain movies like that take me back. Uh, but you're not gonna believe this. But one of my fondest childhood memories is, uh, and this uh, is no no slight against my mother or my father. Uh, but one of my fondest childhood memories is Death Wish Part Two. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, you know my mom and dad were not very. Uh, you know, they were not into the censorship thing. They were totally. Uh, accepting of uh oh well up to a degree i mean i wasn't allowed to see penetration so thank god but uh they were they were totally down for uh you know letting me watch rape at a very young age so <laughs> uh awesome. you know i turned out okay so but I, I have some weird ones i don't really have the typical kid ones i mean obviously i have the ones everybody has from my generation which is jaws and and raiders of the lost ark and close encounters and those things but I don't revisit those films very often because they were iconic when I was a child. And as you know, I'm not a big fan of nostalgia all the time, so I don't really go back and revisit those. I appreciate them for what they are, but I just don't I just don't go back and revisit that stuff much. It's very rare that I go back and revisit something that I loved as a child. This is an interesting question. Um, yeah, it's sort of a mixed bag for me. I, I'm a very nostalgic person. I sometimes sort of get lost in nostalgia. I'll start thinking about something when... <laughs> something triggers it and I you know it's one of those scenes in a movie where someone's like saying your name three or four times before you sort of snap out of it um, <laughs> uh, some ones for me I guess would be Creepshow uh, very nostalgic ah, yeah um, good, good pick there good pick yeah I had the comic uh, it just you know really a lot of fun memories of that um, Never Ending Story which was my is and always will be my favorite childhood movie nice um, yes that's uh, one, of the, one, always, of my, one of my all time favorites too actually yeah I, I can't wait to show William that I, I used to and I hope I don't do this when he's <laughs> When he sees it, but uh, whenever um, was it Artax the horse used to drown in the mud, I always cried. It did oh, not yeah. fail. Uh, that, that, that isn't a spoiler at this point, and yes, you're right. That that devastates me every time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking brutal. But uh, it, it was it, it was such an event. It's such an event when it came on, like around Christmas time. Like I called my dad, my wife called her parents. Like I guess you know, my wife grew up with it too. So that's a big one. Beverly Hills Cop is one for me. Nice. Um, 
you know, I grew up with that, uh, and probably The Karate Kid, and really any movie from about 84 to 87, because those were the last three years my parents were together, so a lot of music from that age, if I hear a song or a movie I remember seeing with them in the theaters, um, it really sort of uh, strikes a chord with me, and it sort of takes me back to the sort of 84 to 87 uh, time of my life, when I was like four to seven years old. Yeah, yeah, and oddly, uh, last week's show was uh, definitely a, a reminder of my childhood, because The Wraith and the DC Cab were movies I saw a lot growing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very true. Very interesting. Very true. That he brings that up, uh, I guess maybe he brought that up because of that, because I was thinking about that, you know, the, you know, the Black Stallion, though, I, I just started giggling, because I remember this now, this DZ... Uh, F thirteen thing with the black stallion fucking used to make me laugh so hard, man. <laughs> yeah, the black stallion thing. It went on for a while. And, uh, it, did, it did. It went on for way too long. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It was pretty comical. But it's funny because, um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that in quite some time. <laughs> yeah. I immediately thought of you when you started talking about the black stallion. Though, I started laughing, snickering in my head. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was a good thing, because DC was so wounded when someone was like, it's fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah. he took Not an, wounded, but he was yeah. He was like, oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, he took an arrow in the hindquarters there. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't Cupid-like. All right. I had thought, sorry, when he first was talking about the Black Stein, he was referring to Mr. Marcus, but I guess I was wrong, though. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I wish I didn't know who that was. <laughs> he is the one that wears the ball cap all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why? Do, why do I know this stuff? <laughs> why or, do I know it? I don't. I, don't, I have no idea. It's obvious that me and you, before we got married, spent a lot of time in front of computers. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Sans pants. All right, here we go with uh, <laughs> the next voicemail. Here we go, gentlemen. This is Doctor Zom. I am watching Miami Vice, Michael Mann's Miami Vice, the uncut director's cut of Miami Vice. And I got to tell you, I like Michael Mann. I got three minutes, but I'm going to tell you, I don't like this movie. I like the way it's shot. He does a good job. He knows what he's doing, typical Michael Mann stuff, but I don't like it. Uh, The one thing I do like is this guy, and I can't pronounce his name, but it's Sihan Hines. He was, uh, plays the FBI agent in Miami Vice. He played the guy in Munich. Uh, he was in There Will Be Blood. He was in Imbruges, Imbruges, uh, Red Perdition, and Laura Croft, Cradle of Life. And I like him. Gong Li, uh, she looks like shit. Uh, there is no chemistry between her and bloated drug addict uh, Colin Crockett Farrell. Uh, I'm sure she liked the uh, giant bag action, but uh, in two seconds, uh, they just looked at each other. Next thing you know, they were screwing, and I thought it was funny when the her husband, the heel dude, uh, she told him that they were screwing, and he didn't give a shit, but then when he found out that they danced together, he wanted to kill him. Uh, I thought that was pretty fucking stupid, and Colin Farrell looks like he's about ready to vomit through the whole movie uh, because he is drug sick. Uh, okay. Uh, I think there should be more blackjacks in movies. Uh, they hit uh, uh, Jamie Foxx's uh, wife over the head with a blackjack. I like I like blackjacks. I like hitting people over the head with blackjacks. Uh, ooh, the Aryan Brotherhood guys in there were pretty cool. They should have more of that shit. 
but they, you know, the movie just sucked. I didn't think it was very good. It was all right. It was just kind of slow and blah. Okay, I watched Ultraviolet today. Mila Jovovich in the uh, little tight outfit is meow. It's yummy, but the movie was sucky, sucky. Uh, let's see, and I got uh, 50 seconds to go. Uh, we have a channel, a new channel called This, uh, the This Channel. Uh, it showed Wheels of Terror with Oliver Reed and David Carradine. It's also known as the Misfit Brigade by Gordon Hessler, uh, supposedly based on some kind of book, uh, you know, uh, Nazi stuff. Uh, also, Breakin' was on Flicks and uh, saw some nice uh, nipple-edge action and uh, then went and watched uh, <laughs> Martina Hingis with some nipple-edge action on YouTube. Nice. Uh, guilty Pleasure, Linda, Linda Manns from The Wanderers. I thought she was pretty cute, especially at the end when she got all the greasy stuff out of her hair. Uh, for Valencia, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Valencia. Happy birthday to you. Three minutes. <laughs> that's uh <laughs> that's uh and if you heard the little skype noise while that email was while the voicemail was going on it was a moment of serendipity because that was um <laughs> talking to me on the skype while his voicemail was playing <laughs> that's funny that's very that happens so rarely um uh, yeah he uh, <laughs> uh i don't know what to say about the happy birthday wishes but yes uh that that was that was sweet of him uh <laughs> It was sort of, he was channeling. I said, sort of. I want to stop that. Uh, he was channeling Tiny Tim there. He goes from. I mean, he can really do all the greats, can he? Yeah, yeah, he really can. <laughs> Don't know if Tiny Tim's a great, but yeah, he can. Uh, Not so much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he. Uh, yeah, some of those films he's brought up lately are pretty. You might you might hear uh, Breaking One and Breaking Two maybe in a Double Deuce uh, series episode at some point in time. I would love to cover those because there's so much talk about. We could talk about those for hours. I know me and you. Just with ozone and turbo alone, we could go for hours on the homoerotic relationship they have. Yes, we certainly could. <laughs> and I didn't know if he meant nipplage and breaking as in the female who was in Ninja Three: The Domination or or whatever, but uh, or if he was talking about ozone or turbo. Uh, that is, you know what? I don't know. Yeah, uh, you probably you probably don't want to know. <laughs> As far as uh, Miami Vice goes, Miami Vice is one of the most interesting films I think it's been releasing in the last 20 years because, man, you talk about a film that divides people. Uh, you either are a fan of this thing or you absolutely hate it. And uh, I actually fall on the absolutely hate it side, which is, yeah, weird. I, it, which is weird for me because I'm, I'm more of a man fan than, uh, well, I know what you are, but then most people are. Uh, that, again, sounds like a... Quite the audio clip for Bill to. Uh, oh yeah, that does actually. I just realized it. I'm a, I'm a Michael Mann um, fan. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know I'm not. I, yeah, he's. I like him. I definitely don't love him. Definitely not. I, yes. Miami Vice is one of these weird films that's eluded me. I rented it. The disc wouldn't work. Um, I bought a used copy. The disc was cracked. Nice. Um, <laughs> I was watching it on cable. The the reception was like the. The digital cable sometimes with the weather it gets thrown yeah. off. Um, well, you were into it, but then Mr. Marcus called. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so put on my baseball cap. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I've never actually seen the whole thing. I mean, I like Gong Lee, but I've heard she sort of got shoehorned into the role a little bit, or yeah. you know, it just it doesn't seem right. She was hot at the time uh, because of her work in in Hong Kong, and she's a beautiful woman and a good actress uh, in her native tongue, but. You know, they tried to make something, uh, put, put a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. 
And there's a lot of movie fans out there that you know I respect, like uh, Wilson, for instance. He loves Miami Vice, thinks it's a masterpiece. And then uh, I believe it was on one either Ben or Dan's top ten of the decade. I think it, been, it was Ben. Yeah, I think it was Ben because Ben's the bigger Michael Mann fan. Big Michael Mann fan, yeah. So, interesting film. Interesting film. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Uh, I don't understand it. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail. Big Willie and the Samurai. This is Gray from the Dark Hours Horror Podcast. Just dropping you a line. Uh, I caught on to your show recently with uh, some communications between you guys and the Obscure 80s podcast. And I thought I'd check you out. It's been a while since I listened to the show. uh, A long time. And I really am liking what I'm hearing. Actually, I just listened to the first, I don't know, 10 to 15, 20 minutes of your Gone in 60 Seconds podcast that you brought out. I think it was your last episode and really digging what I hear. So much so that I decided to give you a little bit of feedback. First, regarding your question about ladies in Hollywood that are not popularly considered beautiful. First of all, I absolutely love Tilda Swinton. She's not in a lot of movies that I watch because really I am a horror geek and I almost exclusively watch horror movies, but I really did enjoy her in Constantine and also The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Did I say I only watch horror movies? (laughs) And then I also enjoy Hilary Swank. She is, you know, one of those ladies that can look really good or not so much so, evidenced by her last role as Amelia Earhart. (laughs) But I do think she is really gorgeous in movies like The Black Dahlia. And one of my personal favorites is Joan Cusack, who many consider not so good looking. But if, (laughs) if you watch her in movies like Adam's Family Values, I love her and her performance. Nice. I don't know. There's just something about there, that. There was a moment of quiet there. <laughs> of hers, and I guess it's a lisp that I really find attractive. So I really enjoyed that part of the show. And then I wanted to address your comments about Avatar. I really enjoyed this movie, and I watched it in the theaters. And this is one of those things where I just I have no love. I get no enjoyment out of the Oscars because really it feels like a big popularity fest. It, you know, the movies that I like never get recognized, like, for example, The Dark Knight and those type of movies. And I just, I don't know. Horror movies are never going to be represented at, at the Oscars. I'd rather attend the Splat Academy Awards, if you know what I mean. So really, that's it. Not a whole lot I wanted to contribute, but I did just want to drop you guys a line and let you know that I'm listening. And I like what I hear so far. Keep it up. Talk to you later. Right, that was Gray from the uh, Dark Hours podcast. Uh, it's good choices there. I mean, he's a, he's a, he knows what he's talking about with the Tilda with the Swinton. Well, I love me some Swank. I don't know. I, you know, I did. I like her so much. I didn't even really consider her <laughs> to qualify for this. I can agree that she can look a little rough sometimes, but I think she's a fantastic actress. And I think I've seen her look stunning like, in a few films. I'm trying to remember which one it was. I'd seen her in. Uh, Oh, that shitty horror movie she did, but like the biblical plagues with the little girl. Oh, in the swamp. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was that called? That was called, uh, uh, fuck, The Reaping? Maybe something like that. But she looked really good in that film. Something. Uh, I watched, I didn't yeah. I didn't get through all that. I'll be honest with you, I turned it off. I don't blame you. <laughs> but, Sorry, uh, I was sneezing. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, he brings up, uh, I'm, I'm going to go, I, I might put a moratorium on our avatar talk. <laughs> 
I'm done. I'm, yeah. done. I'm done with Avatar. But uh, I'm I'm really heartened by him uh, checking us out, considering he, like you said, he watches mostly horror, and we made a conscious effort as much as we love horror to sort of dip our toes in everything. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I like this week's show. Yeah, I like this week's show then because uh, got some nice horror. There we go with the Skype again. It's got to be Doc Zom who. Okay, he says that uh, Billy Zane was playing a practical joke on me and told me he says, "Hey." <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's um. <laughs> For, and to Zom's uh, credit, he is a night shifter, so there's no telling what, what kind of condition he's in right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, he probably got off at like seven seven thirty, so you know <laughs> he might be he might be tying one off, as we say down here in the south. <laughs> uh, okay, next. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for that, Greg. We appreciate it, man. Glad to have you on board for the show and stuff. So, uh, next voicemail. Well. The single man and the Oscar buzz for movies like that and what else is being buzzed, buzzed for Oscar. I've decided to uh, suggest a top ten list of movies I've never seen and put them into the perspective of if they were, uh, well, not so much for Oscar buzz but basically I just haven't fucking seen them for no particular reason except that they look like they're kind of not kind of, oh, I don't know maybe I'm just not interested in them number one well not no, actually let's just take this back Oscar buzz these films have just been released I've never seen them Notorious I don't know. Apparently, I'm supposed to see it. E.T. Um, pile of shit with cute eyes. I don't mean this in a bad way, but I haven't seen E.T. and I haven't seen Rocky Horror and I haven't seen Metropolis and I haven't seen Casablanca and I haven't seen The Apartment and I haven't seen The Princess Bride and I haven't seen On the Waterfront and I haven't seen a lot of movies. But that particular ten list I just put in was um, apparently movies I'm supposed to see, but that just don't appeal to me. Am I missing the marketing? Should they have been on a bus stop? I'm not sure. <laughs> However, enjoy the Oscars and the Golden Globes and all the rest of it. And I'm looking forward to hearing your review of your next movies. Thanks very much, guys. And can I just say, in a nice way, I'm probably, out of that last ten, thinking of seeing The Bicycle Thief. Out of all that, just because it was in the player, which I love, and apparently it's important. And then on the other hand, The Princess Bride is what it's all about. Not sure. <laughs> However, it's all been good and a very Merry Christmas. <laughs> all right, thanks for the Christmas wishes, Scorn. We appreciate those. Um... Yeah, he, yeah, he brings up a good point. You know, I think sometimes these award shows they make it make you feel like you have to see something, but I don't always agree with that because I mean, really, it comes down to your taste. I mean, I can understand if he's never watched ET. I can totally understand that. You know, especially if he didn't if it didn't hit him when he was a Ute, as uh, Joe Pesci would say, and my cousin Vinny. These yes. two, these two Utes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, as an adult, it's a different feeling and 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 whatnot. Uh, I can't even begin to list uh, the films I haven't seen. As many as I have seen, I would guarantee you there's ten times as many that I have not seen. 
Well, I, I just looked at his list, and uh, I haven't seen On the Waterfront. I haven't seen The Apartment. I haven't seen Metropolis. I haven't seen The Bicycle Thief, and it's at the top of my watch pile. It has been for a long time. Uh, you know, Italian neorealistic, neorealism neo classic, but... Uh, it's just, you know, there's not enough time in the day to get around all the stuff we do, which is why I don't rewatch uh, a lot of films unless they really grab me or I don't watch that much shit uh, because I want to see stuff I haven't seen, like the films I just mentioned. Yes, uh, it's it's interesting. All the ones he mentioned, I have seen. Uh, but there's a, probably a bunch that I haven't seen that he probably has. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there probably is. So it's probably the opposite. It's just... You know, it's just it's just marketing or something you're interested in or just something I haven't gotten around to yet. I uh, watched some pretty bad stuff this week for entertainment reasons, and I wasn't very entertained. So <laughs> that's not a good thing. Which we talked about at the beginning of the show. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So next voicemail. Hey, uh, Will and uh, Samurai. It's Rupert Cohen. Um, just had a quick thing, uh, sort of a. Not a challenge, but like a call to do lists um, to the GDTMC listeners if they're interested. Um, I posted my top 100 films uh, list on my blog, Super Pumpkin Speaks, and uh, I, um, I a couple of friends of mine have done lists too, and um, it all started because I saw a list of films this guy's favorite 100 films by decade organized um and uh so anyway i'd love to any of the listeners that would want to do a top 100 i know you guys aren't necessarily into lists um and uh if they post it somewhere um maybe find me on twitter on bob freelander on trip on twitter um i'd love to read the list uh had like three or four people do lists so far and uh, I would love to read some of the GDTMC listeners' lists if anyone is so inclined. So I'd like to put that invitation out there if anyone's interested. Um, all right. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Now, I have to say, the first time I heard that voicemail, I have to say, it sounds like Roop was uh, in, a, in a rut. <laughs> he, yes. Uh, he's a very enthusiastic gentleman, and uh, he sounded like he was <laughs> he's a little down the dumps. I don't know if he realizes he sounded like that or not, but he will when he listens to the show. <laughs> Perk up, lad. You got a lot to live for. Yeah, you perk up there a little bit, buddy. Uh, he says that we don't like lists. It's not true. We do. We love lists. I love lists, but we do not like making lists uh, because <laughs> it is, it's difficult. Well, I'm not saying we. I'll say me. I, I, I'm speaking for you, and I shouldn't do that. But I, I didn't mean to sigh as if I was disgusted. I it, so please don't take it that way, Sammy. I'll let you finish. Then I'll say my yeah. Reason. It's uh, I, making list makes my head hurt. It just it just drives me crazy. I'm such a film lover. It's so hard for me to make a list. I mean, next week we're going to be doing our top ten of the year show. And I'll be honest with you, I won't finalize my list until we start recording because it, it's just so brutal. It's so hard for me sometimes. So that's the only reason why we – well, for the reason why I don't do lists. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and say what you're going to say, Will. Uh, yeah, I absolutely adore lists. I mean, I think most sort of people who have a nerdy obsession – not nerdy obsession, but – you know, whether you're into to music or films, you know, top ten uh, albums uh, featuring so-and-so uh, in a, you know, supporting role, whatever it is. Um, you know, I love this, but to do a list like Roop did, which is top 100 films of all time, and then sort them chronologically from the 20s onward. Well, I mean, talk about fucking daunting. I mean, it would take me a month to do that. 
you know, I mean, I've been I've been writing and, and sort of going back and forth with my top ten for our year end show for a long time. And like I said, I love doing it. It's just it's a very high mountain that when you're at the bottom of seems very daunting. Yes, yes. It's just it's. Yeah, I'm impressed when anybody does it, but uh, I have no interest in doing it myself. I just have no interest in putting myself in that position. <sighs> It's like, you know, I don't I don't want to stand in line and have to bend over to pick up a coin with Mr. Marcus standing behind behind me there. So <laughs> Glad we went from uh we went from Peter North and uh, these other gentlemen into Mr. Marcus territory now. <laughs> <laughs> I just know we're gonna get some type of feedback about Mr. Marcus. I just know it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I see. That's the thing, man. We, you know, when we record, I never, I never would have thought last night we'd be talking about an African American porn star who always wore a baseball cap on today's show. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, that phone call came, but I'm listening to my wife talk to this gentleman supposed to come by my house and fix something. So I'll, we might get interrupted here, but I'm going to play this uh, voicemail from Middle Mike here. So uh, actually, let's take a pause for a minute. Let me see what's going to happen here. Hang on a second, will? Yep. All right, um, and next voicemail is from Metal Mikey, so here we go. Howdy, Will. Howdy, Rick. This is Metal Mikey, and I'm going to kick myself in the ass for making sure I keep with this limitation. So, thankfully, I don't have a lot to say about your last episode. I listened to Savano 60, so let me get right down to it. First off, for the record... Andy Sidaris will see coverage on Action Attraction down the road. I'm just giving you that as a sneak peek here. And I found it amusing that in my mind when I was listening to the feedback of that episode with some of the audio issues near the beginning, I thought of it as sort of like waves of pleasure. You know, when in a stereotypical movie sex scene where it's just like it starts off quiet and gets louder and louder and louder, then nothing. And then over and over again. Yeah, that's sort of like your feedback for 7060 episode. Just waves of pleasure delivered by Will and Rick. Oh yeah. But as for your all-encompassing question of at least in my case, actresses that I find attractive that probably everybody else is going, what the fuzz over? I have two key candidates in that category. My first one, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of flack for this one, so I'm prepared. I am prepared for my confession. Honestly, there are some roles I've seen Maggie Gyllenhaal in where I'm just like, you know, she looks really weird, but she's actually pretty attractive. I think it's probably because her acting style kind of has this general every-girl quality to it. Like, I remember, especially when I saw Stranger Than Fiction, I just had a complete crush on her in that movie. So, you know, take it for what it is, I'm just saying. And probably second place, because I've heard she catches a lot of flack for how quote-unquote unappealing she is to some people, and that would be Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, okay, she looks like she's stoned 90% of the time when she's in a film, but you know, there's just something quite nice about her. I mean, A, she's a redhead, or at least usually is kind of portrayed as one, maybe I'm just (laughs) thinking too much of Mary Jane. Two, I gotta admit that Snaggletooth is pretty damn cute. And three, I don't even care, even if it was evidenced in Spider-Man 3, that she does have man hands, because her hands were way fucking larger than Tommy Maguire's. Uh, but anyways, that's all I got for right now. So you, William, and you, Semerick, you both take it easy, and of course, I will be talking to you again soon. Adios. 
All right. Metal Mikey, the one and only. Uh, yeah, the Kirsten Dunst. Uh, I used to be into her quite a bit until she started losing all of her weight and gave became some kind of, kind of skinny waif thing. I don't know. I've never liked the Snaggletooth, <laughs> and I'm glad he calls it as she is, which yes. is Snaggletooth. Yes. Uh, i trying to think. The Maggie Gyllenhaal, I can't get behind that one. She drives me crazy. I like the sad turtle as an actress, but not as far as uh, sex. The sex, the sad turtle, sexy sad turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, like I said, Mikey, I'm not one to judge because yes. one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yes, yes, this is true. That's why we wanted these uh, this feedback. Gives us some details about our listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Next voicemail. Hi, this is Valencia. Um, this might be the only voicemail I send. Um, I. I'm trying to finish listening to the most recent um, episode, and I stopped listening for a minute because um, I, I heard the little the little interaction with Lil Willie, and I just had to say that was the most cutest thing ever. Thank you for the um, birthday shout-out. It's not quite my birthday yet, but I just wanted to get this out before I forget, and I start stuttering and all that stuff. But I love the review. You know I do. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And um, that's it. But, yeah, Lil Willie, oh, my God, he's so cute. Ah, Okay, bye. I don't know if she's talking about uh, your son or she's talking about you. Little, well, I'm the, the large, he is the small. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. No. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, and everyone for that matter. Well, you know, well let me just say, I know where my confusion came from. I, I was, you know, you, you standing next to, next to Mr. Marcus, all of a sudden you're a little willy. Oh, contrary, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> This is devolving in a way I wish it hadn't, considering we're talking about my son. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, thanks, V. Um, yeah. I really appreciate it. And as well, just, you know, I've spoken to Terry over Paleo Cinema and um, a couple of other people. Uh, and I'm just flattered and, and really touched by you know, all the kind words people have to say for my son. Like I said, I worry sometimes that people are going to think, oh, this cramming his son down a throat. But, you know, I, I just, I love that you guys. Uh, dig it um you know because he is you know it's my heart so you know to be able to sort of share that with you guys who you know who i just love uh communicating with me part of a community means a lot so thank you guys but thanks v we love yes. you yes we do all right uh next voicemail here we go hey big willing to samurai it's tom dj calling you from better in the dark uh laboratory straight out of brooklyn in the snowden day in february um just finished listening to our ODC cab as a sheen. Um, enjoyed it, of course, as always. I particularly was very appreciative of your coverage of DC cab, which is a film that Derek and I keep wanting to bring up on Better in the Dark, but I guess we never got around to it. But the reason I'm calling, you were talking after, I think it was Emily's uh, voicemail, about this actor that you remembered who looked very much like... Um, uh, the, the Ironside and Michael Ironside and of course my first thought was Kurt Wood Smith because I always referred to Kurt Wood Smith as the guy you got when you couldn't get uh, Michael Ironside and it's always been my dream one of my like dream film projects would be to get uh, Kurt Wood Smith the guy who was uh, you get if you wanted Michael Ironside but couldn't get Michael Ironside in a movie with uh, Stephen McCaddy the guy you would get if you wanted Lance Hendrickson but couldn't get Lance Hendrickson and of course 
uh, Jeff Kober, the guy you would get if you wanted Willem Dafoe but couldn't get Willem Dafoe, and put them in a movie together and uh, you know, have them fight crime or something. And what would we call it? We call it secondhand. Anyway, <laughs> nice. keep up the good work. I'll talk to you later. Peace. All I can say about Kurtwood Smith is I think that his portrayal of uh, Clarence Boddicker is one of the all-time great bad guys of all in cinema. Kurtwood Smith's great, and <clears throat> as much as he was bald when he was younger, I think he had a bit of a bit of a different look. Um, I don't know if it was Kurtwood Smith I was thinking of, though. Although that was a good, uh, a good guess, Tom. Uh, yes, maybe yes. it is. I don't know. I'll have to revisit some '80s movies. Yes. All right. Next voicemail. We're turning through them now. Here we go. Okay. Short and sweet. Seventies killer thriller to rival Play Misty for me. Um, the Eyes of Laura Mars, caught it a couple weeks ago. Good gear. Stephen Lang, Ike Clanton, Tombstone. Stephen Lang, Party Crusher in The Hard Way, which is quite a little guilty pleasure of mine. Talking about guilty pleasures, ugly celebrities, Elena Douglas, her nose, my erogenous zones. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. Eliana Douglas. Yeah, Scorsese, Scorsese thought the same thing for a while. He was dating her for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. What was she? She was in a movie I saw I saw recently, like within a couple of years, where there's a scene when she's walking on like a, a river that's frozen over with someone. Um, Fuck. What is it? I'm definitely drawing a blank on that one. So. I think she gets like shot. I don't know. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I, you know, but Somebody will. Somebody will that you mentioned it. Yeah, it is a good call. Eliana Douglas. I like yeah, I like Eliana Douglas. I don't I don't good actress. She was yeah, she was uh, up and coming there for a while and then she just kinda disappeared. Yeah, a good character actress. She's she's brought it in a few movies, so yep. get it on you, Brian. All right. Next voicemail. Hey Jen, it's Rupert calling. Um just listening to the last uh song on the D C Cab Wraith episode. Oddly made me at least the beginning made me think of Electric Dreams. <laughs> and uh wondered if you guys are fans of that movie. Um tried to show wife uh, maybe three or four months ago. Um and it's you know, it's a ridiculously cheesy movie with a cheesy Jeff Lynn soundtrack, which I actually really like. Yeah. Um but there's something oddly uh timely about it with this message of uh technology taking over and everything like that. Anyway, <laughs> wondered if you guys I would love to hear your thoughts on it on some show, but it doesn't seem like something you would cover, but uh, if you guys are fans or not, just curious. Uh, anyway, uh, great stuff. Okay, bye. All right, Rupert sounded more like himself that third time around. <laughs> yeah, he so, did sound a lot peppier there. So. Hang, hang, on one second. hang on one second. I'll, uh, I'll just talk then as, uh, as Sammy does what he does. Um, Electric Dreams, I've never seen. I think Sammy just, you know, knowingly sort of uh, snickered uh, that he has seen it. I remember the Electric Dreams VHS cover, though, very distinctly from my childhood uh, with the, the, uh, the drawn or animated uh, keyboard with the devil horns and the, the smirk on his face. So, yes. Never seen that. Yes, uh, I see. It's got Virginia Madsen and Bud Court. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty okay film. Uh, I can get behind it. It's okay. And for what it's worth, uh, Rupert, I love Jeff Lynn. Uh, he's a former maestro behind the Electric Light Orchestra and uh, some Traveled Wilbury stuff. So, But I like him a lot. I've always liked the Electric Light Orchestra, ELO, quite a bit. So, uh, yeah. No, I don't uh, know anybody else that really likes it, though. So, uh, internet high fives to Rup. <laughs> actually, comes correct. Yeah, actually, I think uh, maybe Demise digs it quite a bit. I might be, I might be wrong about that, but uh, we'll see. 
All right, we got two more voicemails. There we go. Both from the same person. I think he got cut off, so here we go. Hey, gents, this is Phil. Very excited that you covered My Bloody Valentine and Death Weekend. I saw Death Weekend about five, six months ago. I do have the Cinema Day Bizarre disc. Uh, I did take notes at the time, but I haven't seen it recently, so I didn't want to waste time commenting on something I haven't seen recently. All I remember is it had that 18-hour bra woman in there, Brenda Vaccaro. <laughs> At the time you were talking, your show as you were. I laughed really hard because I forgot where I'd seen her before. Now I remember. (laughs) I mean, I've seen her in other movies and stuff, but I remember now everything. It all just came flashing back to me just now. (laughs) Nice. All right, I'm going back to the voicemail now. And a slew of shows that dealt with rape, and I thought, oh, oh, this is another movie with rape, and uh, you guys probably had a blast with this one too. (laughs) But anyway, my bloody Valentine. You know, if it wasn't for the restoration, it's probably a very frustrating podcast of what could have been. But, my opinion, My Bloody Valentine, not a great slasher, but probably one of the most significant examples of what a film restoration can do to improve a movie. I mean, it is what it's supposed to be, a slasher film. And I grew up on Fangoria Magazine, I remember in 1981, looking at all those great pictures and renting, going to the movie or whatever, and absolutely none of it on screen. That was a big frustrating thing that was. And I remember everything, just some commentaries recently on flasher films or something like that. And I don't know if part of the blame was when John Lennon was shot in 1980 and really put a message out to Hollywood to trim violence in cinema. But uh, in 1980, he had Friday the 13th, which was pretty gory at the time, but there was trims to it. But 1981 had uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, the Burning and the Prowler. Um, those films recently have been restored to also improved by their restoration. And I guess my MVP for My Bloody Valentine would have to be the Harry Warden song, The Ballad. Great example of somebody putting pen to paper, writing a ballad that has to do with the film. It's a great song, well written. Um, I think I might have been cut off, I'm not sure. <laughs> but if not, um, take care, guys. Hey, I think you said last week you were going to do a ginger GGTMC. Can't wait. I've already taken my notes. And it's a good thing about that three-minute warning. You hear people blab on for too long and cut into your show. So I'm all for it. Great show, guys. As always, take care. Bye. He didn't, he didn't get cut off. He called back. We'll go ahead and play that one. Hang on. I have ten seconds left, and I got cut off earlier. This is still good. Hey, the uh, Blu-ray for My Bloody Valentine, uh, for those uh, diehard fans, has the uh, full theatrical trailer, uh, courtesy of the guy who does Synapse Films, and it's not included on the regular DVD. So, and it can be bought for about 10 bucks now, the Blu-ray. Love the show. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Good Phil calling in. Uh, we have a different opinion of MBV, My Bloody Valentine, than he does. But uh, it's kind of weird to always talk about that because we record our feedback first before we record our review. So I'm just going to assume that we have a different feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, totally understandable, and I see what he's saying. Uh, Hollywood did. Hollywood always goes through that, that moment where they, they get real violent and crazy for a while, and then something happens, and they tend to dial it back. I remember 9-11, they tend to dial a lot of stuff way back after 9-11 happened or something like that. But, you know, that's 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 just typical of the times. That's the way people are. I mean, you know, they don't want to offend too many people all the time. 
you get that knee-jerk reaction, and sometimes it's it's warranted. Other times it's a bit of overkill, but you know that's that's the studio for you. Oh yeah, yeah. Hollywood's uh, the they're, they're the kings of overkill, but uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. But uh, all right, I think that's it for our voicemail. You want to go through our uh, pleasantries? Well, it's good to yeah, hear from sure. you. We hadn't heard from Phil in a while. It's good to hear from him again. So yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see here. Set my book. Okay, so uh, check out our sister shows, OTC and Show Show. Uh, check out, in fact, all of the Pop Syndicate shows. A lot of good friends over there. Uh, check out Chinsurgo vs. Punter and Cinerama Across the Pond, which I believe you are on this week's episode uh, with Ian talking about the Wolfman, correct? That is correct. So I'll be keen to check that when I start my work week. Uh, check out good friend of the show, Terry's one-man show, Paleo Cinema. Uh, action Attraction with Metal Mikey, Better in the Dark with Tom and Derek, Cinecultania, uh, V Cinema, uh, Sinful Cinema, and Destroy the Brain. Uh, in terms of various other friends uh, that aren't in the podcasting realm, uh, check out Paracinema.net for Paracinema Magazine. Support them, buy an issue or 10, um, or Commentary.com. And these are all uh, blogspot.com. Of course, our friends that are bloggers, Pickleloaf, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, um, uh, Death Rattle 13, Naked Eskimo, Heaven's Trash, that's Heaven's of the Sea, Dear Bastards, This is Quiet Cool, um, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, and Rupert, Rupert Pupkin does need to speak on his blog because I think that that list took a lot out of him. He hasn't posted since then. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so get on a Rup. <laughs> uh, Uncool Cat, which is uh, one of our friends. There's a blog I never mentioned, and I also want to mention if you're in the Toronto area, check out Eyesore Cinema. They've been uh, supporters of the show uh, for a very long time. Uh, you know, they have us up on their page. It's one of the better um, DVD and sort of genre movie stores in town. So check those guys out if you're in town. Uh, as always, uh, check out cinema-de-bazaar for all your hard-to-find genre needs. That's where this week's Death Weekend came from. Uh, both for us on Podcast Alley. Uh, iTunes reviews are certainly always um, appreciated. Uh, friend us both on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Uh, we do have a donate button on our webpage if you feel inclined to do so. And uh, I'm going to leave out the voicemail and email because I remember that Alyssa says it at the end of the show anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Last yeah. week I'm like, we haven't said it in so long. And I just, for some reason, didn't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You forget those things after a while. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Uh, yeah, so that is uh, everything. So next week, is it's finally here, Large William, our much-heralded top ten on the GGTMC of 2009. We we finally put a capper on it. It's time to uh, fess up and tell the world what we really like the most last uh, year. So are you ready for that? I'm very ready. I'm very excited to see how your list is going to shake out. And I also want to encourage our listeners, whether it's an email or voicemail form, of course, keeping it under three minutes, uh, to send us their top ten for the year. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how everything shakes out amongst our listeners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, if you guys want to get in, uh, into that, that'd be good. Also, if you want to call in a voicemail and say, because uh, I did this last year, I kind of want to make it a top ten list thing. If you want to call in a voicemail and just say, take that shit to the bowl, uh, yeah, I'd appreciate that. Good call. If you guys want to call in and say that, that's all you got to say. Just call it in, and I'll work it into the show. So for those of you that have been around a while, you'll know exactly what that means. <laughs> for those of you who are new to the show, you'll think, wow, why am I calling a show and saying take that shit to the bowl? But uh, <laughs> just uh, you know, just know that uh, it's a GGTMC tagline from the past, and we still love it. So 
we expect all of you that did it last year again, as well as our, our newcomers uh, yeah. to step up with the take, taking that tip of the bowl. I'll put the Twitter uh, request for it out there, too, so I can uh, edit it all in. So that'll that'll be next week's show, the top ten list, and finally we can get back to I can get back to watching more movies for entertainment's sake as opposed to deadline's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. It's been a bit of a bear to say the least. Uh, so uh, with that, I think we can say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com You better watch yourself Oh, let's take